the blast from our past network. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Body Parts, starring Jeff Fahey, Kim Delaney, and Brad Dourif. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Podcasting After Dark. I am one half of the pad team proper, Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C. Joined with me, as always, my brother from another mother, Zach, the total snacket Schaefer. And this week, we have a movie brought to us by Cam Sully of the Jacked Up Review Show podcast. And if you all remember, he brought us uh, The Believers a while back. But this time, he is bringing to the table... Body Bags, starring Jeff... Body Parts. Wow! I <laughs> knew I was going to fuck that up right out of the gate. Zach and I already off-air off talked about it, but you know what? I'm going to leave it all in. I'm just going to leave this all in because I'm an idiot. <laughs> I mean, it's the better version of a segment in Body Bags. Right, dude? I mean, honestly, it is it is interesting that it kind of does have this weird tie to Body, body Bags, but yes, we are reviewing... Body parts. At least I got it out of the way right away this time. It didn't just like lands in the middle. <laughs> yeah, nice work. Nice job. Nice job. <laughs> and nice job to Cam Sully for this one, dude. Woo, baby. I am feeling jacked up to be talking about this on our podcast. Um, wow. Cam Sully, you know, if he was a baseball player, his baseball card would say RBI. 400. I don't know anything about baseball statistics, so I don't even know what that means. I don't know. Is that good? I don't know. It were a <laughs> what, thousand. what if it actually turns out that it's bad or something? Yeah. No, sorry. Take two. If I was a. <laughs> we're doing great Cam tonight, Sully, guys. <laughs> if Cam Sully was the first baseman for the Atlanta Braves in 1994, he'd be David Justice. And then everybody right now is going, he didn't play first base. I don't know who did. I just threw that out there. My point is. Cam hit it out the ballpark. Is that? Yeah, that works, right? Yes. Uh, We're off the rails already. We're off the rails, but I'm sure Cam appreciates that. Look, guys, here's the deal. Uh, If you are a Patreon subscriber and you sign up to the highest tier, we will break down. uh, Sorry. We will bastardize the movie you choose. (laughs) Wait, sorry. Take one again. We will break down the movie you choose at the highest tier. And uh, you, you pick the movie. Robert Ortiz has picked the movie. Aaron Gilmer has picked the movie. Our great friend Crystal has picked a movie. Uh, like the countless people who have picked movies. Paulette is another one who is a awesome person, and she's got movies coming down the pipe. Cam is today's movie picker. He we're picking his we're picking something. Something's getting picked right now. Anyways, my point is, guys, you pick the movie, we break it down. Cam just happened to pick a movie that well. Corey will give his thoughts on it in just a moment, but I freaking love this movie. I have a long history with this movie, uh, but well, I'll get to mine in a minute. <laughs> and I would like to add on top of that, that this is actually uh, an entire month of Cam Sully picks. So the next movie we're going to be breaking down, uh, Zach will be doing. Um, and uh, 
that'll be coming in a couple weeks. You will not be disappointed by that either. <laughs> Thank you, Cam. Cam backwards is Mac, by the way. Just want to point that out. <laughs> Mac attack. And, and, and he's the Mac. He's the Mac. Return of the Mac. Oh, my God. Top of the world. Remember that song? I, of course I remember that song. Are you crazy? It's on, me. it's on my playlist, baby. It's an awesome That's song. A... It's always a banger. What'd you do? What'd you do, do, do? <laughs> so my history with body parts, <laughs> I got it right this time. Uh, I saw it right when it first came out on VHS. I watched it with Luke. I'm sure we were ready for it because of Fangoria. Uh, maybe a trailer or something, you know, on some other VHS or whatever. But I remember watching it. I remember loving it. I remember being, you know, shocked by it. And then I never saw it again until, you know, just now. And I watched it with my wife uh, for the funsies viewing. And we both were blown away by how good this movie is. Uh, like, it doesn't have to be this good. It, it doesn't. This movie could have been silly and cheesy, no problem, but every single actor in this movie is turning in such a phenomenal performance, especially Paul Ben Victor. Holy fucking shit. Uh, we'll talk about him in a little bit, but, you know, his his whole, you know, crazy guy thing, like, he's amazing. But yeah, dude, like, there's a giant gap in my life where this movie didn't exist for me, and that will never happen again because I will be watching this movie on the regular and I will be shouting its praises from the rooftops. I hate this movie. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, I look, uh my 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 history with this, I equally um as my wife would say pop chub for Jeff Fahey. He's just a, a an amazing actor. Loved him ever since I saw him in Silverado with those steel blue eyes. Mm. Um, I will point out and shout out a movie called Split Decisions that he did with Gene Hackman and Craig Sheffer. That will not be the only time I bring up Craig Sheffer tonight. It's a boxing movie. It's a travesty that it's not available on Blu-ray or I don't even think it's available on DVD. Uh, Split Decisions is an amazing, awesome boxing movie if you've never seen it. You can find it on YouTube for free. Um, and he's killer in that. And I think that was the first, like, that gave me the, I started getting, like, Jeff Fahey, you know, crush man crushes on him. Fuck yeah. And then in 91, I was 14 years old, the height of my horror movie watching back in the day. My brother and I, and probably his friends too, went to the movie theaters to see Body Parts. Um, because we were big Eric Red fans because of the Hitcher. And uh, after this was Bad Moon, obviously. Which is in your stack to review. So we will get to a, another Eric Red movie one of these days. Yeah, and I cannot wait for that. And we'll get to the Hitcher when it gets a proper Blu-ray release, which I think it just did from Umbrella Entertainment, which is a region-free Blu-ray company. They did a Megaforce, which is really good. Yeah, if it's Umbrella, if Umbrella is the one that put it out, then yeah, they're a, they're an Australian-based uh, company, and every Blu-ray they put out is region-free. I have their uh, Punisher the Dolph Lundgren movie uh, version that has like multiple cuts and everything. And I believe you do too. Cause we're going to try to cover it one day with we Tim will. over a talking back. It's just been kind of hard to, to, you know, put that together. Um, but yeah, umbrella man. They, I love the fact that they put out region free Blu-rays. Me too. Um, 
you know, they put out one for Red Rock West and now Vinegar Syndrome's doing a Red Rock West. So something tells me the Hitcher will wind up on Vinegar Syndrome down the road as well, which either way I'm going to get. Uh, anyways, my point was I saw it when it came out in the theater. Uh, Video Man, which I ended up working at, uh, of course, uh, had the body parts poster when it came out of VHS. And I got the poster for a quarter from the video store when they were selling posters. And I had that poster on my wall <laughs> for a good part of a couple years. Um, the one that's actually the cover of the Blu-ray from Shout Factory or Scream Factory or whatever the factory it is. I love that poster. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I, it's another reason why I probably was uh, a single teenager at the time because <laughs> I've got a big poster that says body parts. I had horror posters everywhere, and I never had a horror girlfriend. Never had a horror girlfriend back in the day. Never once had a girlfriend that was into horror films. They were always like, oh, they're gross. They scare me. Uh, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? You know. Anyways. I had a Demon Knight poster. Um, I had a Jade poster, remember, with... Uh... I had a Jade poster also, ah. the, the green one. The green the one, red yeah. Writing. Yep, I had that. Yeah, where she puts her heel in the guy's asshole. Yes. <laughs> she I does. had I had, like, a, a couple heavy metal posters that were just basically reprints of the, the covers and stuff like that. And then I had, like... Cool. Um, yeah, I had uh, some, some Cheyenne Fat posters. I was, I was a big movie poster fan back Me in the too. day. Me too. Yeah, I loved it. I, I mean, my, my, my walls were covered like wallpaper. Yeah, me too. I didn't care. I just love what I loved, and I still, to this day, love what I love, like 90s cartoons. Now, you got to call it <laughs> out, buddy. You have a little bit of a connection to Jeff Fahey or maybe a family member of Jeff Fahey? Oh, yeah. So uh, I taught his nephew, um, Michael Fahey, and when I was a teacher back in the day. and So this is brother- the son of one of his, like, 12 brothers? Yeah, his brother was a was a, a gaffer, I think, or like a you know a behind the scenes guy. Yeah, uh, I think they're all grips and gaffers, and then Jeff, I think, is the one that's the actor. Yeah, his his brother looks nothing like him, but sounds like him. Oh, okay. And yeah, which is wild. Um, I never met Jeff. I know that Jeff came, I think, one year to like grandparents and special friends day. It's where you bring it's where you bring a family member. Uh, to see the work you're doing at school. I could have sworn I saw Jeff at, on campus when Michael was older. Um, yeah, anyways, his his nephew is a great kid, and yeah, taught his kid. It was like, I see the name Fahey on there, and I'm like, I said, do you have a family member named Jeff? He goes, yeah, it's my uncle. I'm like, yeah, he's an actor, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's cool. File that, <laughs> file that under T for toy. <laughs> Dude, that's H freaking for awesome. toy. Yeah, yeah, no, it was he was super cool, and um, you know, I, I, yeah, my little connection, little connections. Dun, dun. <laughs> well, we have. I think we're gonna have a lot to talk about with the breakdown of this movie. Um, I we both have the Shout Factory Blu-rays, right? Um, yeah. And then uh, I don't know if they're in print, but you can pretty much easily find them. They're not that expensive. Um, I watched the 50-minute Eric Red uh, discussion, you know, interview. Uh, so I got some information from that that I'll try to plug in. Um, but then I also watched the 15-minute uh, Paul Ben Victor interview because I was like, I got to see what this guy has to say. And uh, not really much, you know, information, but I was just, like I said, I was absolutely riveted by his performance in this film. And, like, I was... So I was high as fuck when we first watched it, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy is, like, mesmerizing. This scene's mesmerizing. I was like, but maybe that was just the weed. So when I went to actually break it down, I was just as mesmerized, stone-cold sober. 
Yeah, he's everything that what's his face in Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two wanted to do in mm-hmm. those, in those, uh, you know, those scenes where he was in the hospital. Yeah. So uh, Paul Ben Victor crushed it. Uh, absolutely. Then we'll get to him in the cast and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, you want to start with uh, Eric Red? Yeah, Eric Red. I think we mentioned the Hitcher uh, and also. Bad Moon. Now, I always thought he directed Hitcher, but he didn't. He only wrote it. No, he wrote it. Um, and he, he wrote, also uh, wrote Near Dark as well. Holy shit. Yeah, he wrote Near Dark, He, but he wrote and directed a movie called Cohen and Tate with Roy Scheider and Adam Baldwin. It's a great uh, crime thriller. Uh, I love that movie. I think Shout Factory put it out at one point on Blu-ray, and then, you know, they did suddenly it was just gone. You're like, what happened? If you can seek that movie out, highly recommend it. He doesn't do a lot of movies. Um, so, you know, I, oh yeah, he wrote Blue Steel, which yes. is a yeah. sexy <laughs> cop movie with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, directed yep. by Catherine Bigelow. Yep. Uh, Who directed really... uh, Near Dark, so. Yeah, yeah, so there's your connection there. And, um, you know, Robert Harmon directed The Hitcher. Uh, Eric Red, like you said, wrote it. There's no real connection there, I don't yeah. think. But if we ever break down uh, the Hitcher, then we'll dig a little bit deeper on that. But we're not going to do that today. Yeah. No, this is all about Eric Red, And he wrote the um, the script for this, you know, kind of. It's based on a um, a novel. I think it was a French novel or novella, maybe, called Choice Cuts, I Choice believe. Cuts. Choice Cuts is a place that I like to eat at. <laughs> no, it's not. Fresh Choice. <laughs> Fresh Cuts, maybe? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Fresh cuts is where I get my hair cut at the haircutter. Before we get into the cast, though, we got to talk about the producer of this film. And it's a name that that we have discussed before on TV Obscura. He comes up often. Um, I believe he's come up in our I think I feel like he's come up in a horror film as well um, that we've discussed on pad. Potentially Frank Mancuso Jr., uh, as the producer, he was the producer of the War of the Worlds TV series, Friday the, Th- Friday the 13th TV series. Uh, all of the Friday the 13th movies, or almost all of them, April Fool's Day. Uh, you know, for some reason, I, I was like, oh, did he produce um, any of the movies we've done on pad? No, but we just talk about them all the time. So yeah, they're like such a part of our that. DNA. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a great producer. Um, he's and he's, I would say, like, next to Joel Silver, he's produced a, a shit ton of movies that I love. And his father, uh, Frank Mancuso Sr., was, I think, head of Paramount at the time or, or a high-level producer maybe at the time. Oh, that explains a lot. Yes. Yes, it does. Actually, I think he was head of Paramount, I believe. So, um, yeah. Nepotism. But. Yeah, great. but sometimes it works. Also, you know, I mean, Panos Cosmatos, that's another nepotism one. But, I mean, Mandy's a great freaking movie. So, uh, look, I got nothing. I got no problem with that. I just maybe I'm just a little jealous. <laughs> Touche. Aren't we all, though? <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, do we want to talk about the uh, uh, makeup effects guy? Yeah. So real quick, I wanted to call out uh, the guy who does all the effects in the movie, which I think are spectacular. The arms and everything, the sockets that you can see right into like Jeff Fahey's soul, you know, when you're looking into his sockets. Um, That's done by uh, Gordon Smith, and he did the effects on Platoon and Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, I mean, two like well-known top-notch films, so... 
that's good stuff. And Eric read uh, specifically, I think, wanted him because both both of those are kind of war movies. Even though Jacob's Ladder is obviously, you know, uh, weird and everything, but he's got this whole technique to him where his limbs and stuff look a lot more real because he doesn't use just straight up like prosthetics or whatever. He's got this like a specific chemical makeup that he uses that gives like the flesh like this translucent look or whatever, and it's just it's really good and and kind of. It kind of has this like war violence look to it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's very brutal and real, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I I, I want to point out uh, the cinematographer actually Theo Van de Sand Van de Van Van Sandy Van de Sand. <laughs> sure, sure. What, whatever, buddy. <laughs> it's John Lev. Um, he was the DP on Blade. Mm. And because there are there's a couple shots in this movie that really stand out to me where I'm like, ooh, that was really cool. I mean, I, I want to Blade, Blade is definitely a good one to point out, but he's got a laundry list of like top notch big movies like Wayne's World is another one he did. Um, the First Power, which I, I would not be surprised if we cover that down the road. I saw that in the theater. And yeah, we're going to we're going to cover First Power one of these days. Isn't it coming out on? shout or somebody or didn't it just recently come out or something on blu-ray i think it did or yeah it's coming back out uh miracle mile is another one he did and miracle mile if you've never seen that movie uh i think dust i think dustin and i are going to cover that one because the director of miracle mile is also the director of cherry 2000 um so steve desjarnay so uh you know look Don't be surprised if that name comes up again down the pipe on Podcasting After Dark or $2 Late Fee. Yeah, you've been talking about Miracle Mile pretty much since we've started this podcast. Um, And I have the... I can't remember. Was it Kino? Somebody put Kino. out, yeah, yeah, Cherry on Blu-ray. Uh, so I picked that up because I remember watching it when I was a kid, not loving it, and then watching it. I think Myra and I watched it about a year and a half ago. I enjoyed it. Still didn't quite like love it, but I, I could. I saw what they were trying to do with it, and I thought like, yeah, it's still a good time. It's no body parts for sh- that's for sure. No, it it, it kind of it's standalone. It stands alone on its own though. You yeah, know, it's an interesting film, just yeah. like Cherry 2000 kind of stands alone on its own, too. You know, agreed. Agreed. Unique, quirky films. Um, but yeah, uh, Miracle Mile, it's coming out on 4K. I know the director did some more stuff with it. Okay. So uh, anyways, if if anyone's interested. Um, how about this? How about that cast? Huh? How, how that about cast? this amazing cast? There is no bad person in the bunch. No, we talked about Jeff Fahey already and our love for him. Um Lindsay Duncan plays Dr. Agatha Webb. Um, I got her confused a little bit with Julie Delpy from The Morning After uh, or Before Sunrise or that, you know, that trilogy she did with Ethan Hawke, those yes. love movies. Yes, 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 yes. Um, they have that same sort of blonde hair, fair skin, sort of big eyes, angelic look to them. I know, yeah, like British, I know exactly French. what you're talking about. Yeah. She looked a lot like an ex-girlfriend of mine, too, which was eerie. <laughs> like a much older version. Anyway, she's an a, accomplished actor who's been in, you know, tons of mainstream movies, including Birdman, the movie with uh, Michael Keaton. Great movie. Resurrected his career. Um, yeah. Anyway, she's a she's a very well distinguished actor. Brings a lot of gravitas to the role. Yes, she does. And she gets what she deserves. Uh, Kim Delaney plays... 
Jeff Fahey's wife in this. Uh, Jeff obviously plays Bill Krushank. She plays Karen Krushank. She plays a Karen, a sympathetic Karen. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. We've lost that name, Karen. Karen can never sort of be done again. Like, it's over for Karens, right? New it's Karens. such a shame. It's such a shame because I have a, a kind of like a surrogate aunt named Karen, and she's the sweetest lady. She's so sweet. And I'm like, oh, bummer. Now, Kim Delaney is, is the sister of Dana Delaney, right? Are they sisters? I mean, I I would – I'm going to say yes. Uh, I don't know for certain, um, but – She's the daughter of Joan and Jack Delaney. <laughs> uh, but I know that she had a, you know, most, I know that she had a notable career on NYPD Blue. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I remember her from another Craig Sheffer movie called That Was Then, This Is Now. If you've never seen That Was Then, This Is Now, I talked about it with Jill Sholin. I absolutely love that movie. That's probably in my top five of all time 80s movies. Emilio Estevez, Craig Sheffer, Kim Delaney. Um, the dude from Lamar from Revenge of the Nerds, uh, Jill Sholin, obviously that was then. This is now so good. So good. Okay. I remember you talking about that. Um, by the way, just kind of quickly scrolling through her IMDb. She was on an episode of Hooperman. Of course she was. Oh God. And if you don't so know good. Hooperman, go back and listen to our TV Obscura episode of Hooperman. Oh God. That show is great. The next actor uh, in this, he plays a detective, D- Detective Sawchuck, which that name d- definitely does not fit the actor that we're about to describe. Um, Zakes Mackay, who I used to always say Zakes Mokay because I just thought it sounded a lot better. But it's Zakes Mackay. Well, according to Eric Red, it's Zakes Mackay. Um, yeah, well, he's dead now. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away in 2009. Um, but I just watched him twice, back to back, a couple uh, months ago before we talked to uh, Richard Stanley because he's in Dust Devil. He's playing also a, like a detective in that as well, and he's fantastic in that. So good in that. So good in this. Uh, of course, I think most people will remember him from The Serpent and the Rainbow. Yeah. One of the most terrifying um, Wes Craven movies, in my opinion. Legit. I, hands down, think uh, it's interesting. Wes Craven's best run. This is a little plug to our Carpenter Factor series, which you can check out on Patreon, the Carpenter Factor series, where we discuss every single one of a director's films and their filmography. We call it the Auteur de Force series. Yeah, you just wrapping up. Yeah, we uh, we're just wrapping up John Carpenter right now. Uh, I know our good buddy David Irons would love for us to cover Wes Craven. Will we? You'll find out pretty soon because we're going to be revealing who the next auteur de force will be uh, coming up. But anyways, my point is Wes Craven's best run, in my opinion, was the mid-80s when he did like Shocker and Serpent in the Rainbow. And I think Deadly Friend is pretty good, too. Same with John Carpenter, maybe? Well, you'll have to listen to The Carpenter Factor to find out. Um <laughs> But maybe, maybe, maybe not. And, and yeah, dude, The Serpent and the Rainbow Man, that movie dude, it so scared scary. the shit out of me when I was a kid. Um, the When the snake bites him in his face and he kind of like yeah. pulls back and it's like, oh, oh my God, uh, it's fucking the spike it in the penis. Me. Oh, my God. And, I, and when he's in, when he's in the when he's in the uh, coffin and it's filling up with blood and and they're like, he's dead. And he's like, I'm not dead or whatever he says, you know, oh something God. like that. So Anyways, good. Bill Pullman so good. was great in that movie. Bill, oh yeah, the president was so great. Um, <laughs> Brad Dourif plays Remo Lacey. Brad Dourif, of course. Who's Brad Dourif? 
for God's sakes. We, who's Brad Dorf? We all, you know what? If you're listening to podcasting after dark, there is one actor you absolutely know, and that's Brad Dorf. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He, he, Chucky. Um, well, oh, shoot, what was his name in it? Um, Charles Lee Ray. Charles so, Lee Ray. Yep. That's fun right. fact. Uh, I ever since Bodie started, you know, taking baths and showers, I do this little bit with him where I get him to laugh and kind of break up the monotony of take, you know, bath time. Uh, and I have this character that I actually did in kindergarten with Michael Fahey, which he probably remembers too, if he happens to be listening to this. But I, 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 he used to be called Irwin and he knew everything. He was so smart. I'm so smart. I know that two plus two equals six. And Bodhi would be like, no, you know, and just like he, he was so pompous, but he was actually an idiot. Kind of like someone who's running for president. Um, <laughs> And so Irwin later became Charles Lee Ray for some reason. So Bodie's like, who's Charles Lee Ray? And I'm like, he's this kid who thinks he knows everything. Little does he know that Charles Lee Ray is the serial killer from Chucky. <laughs> You're prepping him, baby. You're prepping him. Um, if you've never seen Mississippi Burning, films about slavery or racism are really hard to watch. But if you want to see racist assholes get their asses handed to them by Willem Dafoe and Gene Hackman go watch Mississippi Burning there's a great gif of Gene Hackman grabbing uh Brad Dourif's balls and crushing them with his hand (laughs) with his man hand because Gene Hackman's a man second time I brought up Gene Hackman in this episode too now I want to watch a fucking Gene Hackman movie um I love Unforgiven god Gene Hackman's so great and he retired he just was like I'm done I'm done. I mean, sure. uh, Why not? Right. Anyways, he crushes he crushes Brad Dorf's balls into oblivion. <laughs> I believe it's Brad Dorf. Anyways, Brad Dorf plays a racist in that too. So, uh, and he's in The Exorcist Three and One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. So, uh, you know, it's all good stuff. Uh, do you want? We don't need to really call it Charlie Fletcher, right? No, because that guy he's, he's a stunt he's, man. He's just a stunt man, really. Yeah, I, and maybe just call out uh, uh, Paul and Peter Murnick. Yeah, because yeah, Peter yeah. Murnick actually has a has an interesting oh, career. Oh no, I actually love him in Justified. So yeah, let, let's stick with let's stick oh, with okay, Paul. Cool. Let's stick with Peter, and uh, I think that's probably about it. We can we can because we're also gonna st- we're gonna save Peter McNeil Roger. for for the um, reveal in the show in the movie. Roger, Roger, okay. Roger, Roger. Um, Paul Ben Victor plays Ray Kohlberg. I mean, Corey already popped Chubb for him. So Jesus, uh, he's so damn good, but. I mean, my God, he's been like in the wire. You know, he's always playing like this, like New York tough guy and, you know, kind of thing. And he's kind of but he does that so well. I mean, he's such a great actor, you know? Yeah, he I mean, he doesn't he doesn't always play uh, that type, but I think he's mostly known for that. Yeah. And he's a dude who's just like consistent. You know, there's there's he's got a similar look to a lot of other actors like you know i would say stanley tucci kind of fits that look too yeah there's a lot of bald white actors in hollywood there are there just are but he's really good at what he does so um you know he's great in this for the the five minutes of screen time that he has but like it doesn't matter how much time you get it's what you do with it and he crushes like like uh, Brad Dorf's testicles get crushed in Mississippi burning. What's that phrase? No small rolls. Exactly. Just small penises getting crushed by Gene Hackman's man hands. 
That guy's a man, by the way. Gene Hackman's just like he's a man. He's, he's not just a man. He's a man's he's man. A man's man. <laughs> as, as, as Seinfeld would say. <laughs> and uh, I was shocked when I saw Peter Mernick uh, pop up in this um, because I love him on Justified. He plays like this state trooper that he was kind of like a not a not a big time uh, character on the show, but he kind of popped up regularly. Um, and he is. And he is absolutely fantastic in this movie, too. Yeah. I, to be honest with you, when I saw him in this movie for the first time, I'm like, that guy is a good actor for a college basketball player. Because I thought he was just like a, you know, college basketball or an NBA guy or yeah. something. I didn't realize he was a an actual actor who has been in quite a few projects over 70 tv and movies yeah he's been, he's working to today i mean he's last yeah. he's been working on his like billions and everything so dating back to the late 80s when he did tour of duty and booker that terrible spinoff to 21 jump street that i wanted to love so bad because i love richard grieco anyways oh, uh, tour he, of duty he, i've talked about that before i watched that show back in the day i also used to read the comic book the nom or the nam um, oh yeah me too and I also loved anytime G.I. Joe would like have Vietnam. So I was obsessed with Vietnam when I was a kid. Because also too, like every character that I loved had a Vietnam background. Like, you know, Frank Castle, the Punisher, was from Vietnam. Obviously Snake Eyes, Stalker, all those right. guys. Like that was all I mean, Vietnam shit. It was. It was. In fact, I wrote a poem called A Tie is not a loss. That's from 8-Bit Christmas, by the way. <laughs> no, uh, and I was going to point out really quickly, he's in a one of my favorite baseball movies of all time. It's called Pastime. It came out in 1990. If you are a fan of baseball movies, small independent baseball movies, William Russ is in it. Uh, William Russ was on that TV show Boy Meets World, and uh, Glenn Plummer is in it. It's a story about uh, Glenn Plummer is a great uh, actor who's done a lot of character bits, but... Um, it's a story about this up-and-coming baseball player, black baseball player, and uh, being kind of mentored by an older white baseball player in the you know in a time when it wasn't cool to. Uh, uh, it, it takes place in like the late fifties, early sixties. So there's you know, obviously people not treating this guy very well, but his mentor William Russ is really good to him. It's a it's a beautiful uh, story about. A love of baseball and just you know uh yeah so if you're a fan of baseball movies go check out pastime yeah and unfortunately he was on an episode of seinfeld that i fucking hated uh when adam wow. and i went through uh the whole series the literally in the entire series probably the lowest point was i know you remember uh is when kramer goes to la gets accused of being um a serial killer he plays the detective uh who's sort of tracking him down and everything and you know as a kid i didn't love those episodes but going back and like revisiting them and actually like analyzing them they were fucking terrible that two-parter man um so unfortunately he was he was in that but still he's a seinfeld alum so you know gotta give him respect for that i mean look he's on on probably your favorite show of all time and uh whether it was good or not he he was on it so oh, there you go i actually a couple of my favorite shows because he's justified is probably one of my favorite shows of all time as well and he was on that so yeah i, I and he's on mindhunter too and i love that show people love that show i've never seen it but i, I know people talk about it i love that show i've never seen justified so i'll watch justified you watch mindhunter 
deal. Yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, before we get into this, just wanted to say again, thank you to Cam Sully uh, for recommending this one and obviously this whole entire month as well. Um, we're going to have Cam on Wrap Up After Dark uh, at the end of the month, kind of like how we did with Rob um, after we did a month of his movies uh, a couple months ago. And uh, just everybody go check out the Jacked Up Review Show podcast. Uh, it's a great time over there. They're always having fun talking about cool shit. So again, go check out the Jacked Up Review Show podcast. Yeah, I was on there talking about La Femme Nikita. There you go. There you go. All right, buddy. Are you ready to cover body bags? Oh, no. I'm just kidding. Body parts. Let's do it. Well, I'd appreciate it if you'd, uh, if you'd send a, a copy to all the members and indicate that... Uh... Just fine. You lost your arm in a car accident yesterday. We've transplanted another arm for you. How does it feel to have someone else's arm? Dad, it's sort of gross. Well, that's not how it looks. It's how it works, right? I think there's something the matter with me. Oh! It's the arm. Billy! There's something wrong with the person he used to belong to. You have this guy's arm. You don't have his personality. I want you to run my prints. Any past record I had would show up on the printout, right? You put a killer's arm onto my body and you didn't tell me. That arm can't do anything you don't want it to. How do you know that? Where does evil live? Does it live in the soul? In the mind? Flesh. Maybe you got some kind of demon inside of you these days. Why doesn't anybody want to ask any questions about these operations? I hit my kid. I tried to strangle my wife. I have nightmares every night. I want this arm Don't you realize what I and my team have accomplished with that arm? Take the kids and go to your mother's. Don't pack. Just go now. The movie starts with a lengthy but cool opening credits segment. We see red medical drawings on a black background as the credits play. It lasts for about three and a half minutes. And I don't know if you noticed, but this and the end credit sequence, their aspect ratio is different than the movie itself. I didn't notice that, but that makes sense. And it, and this credit sequence reminded me a lot of Reanimator. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm not hating it. It was long, but I didn't mind it. For an 88-minute movie, I was like, whoa, this is a long credit sequence for an 88-minute movie. Well, yeah, and that's why, like, when I went to go actually go break this down, I was like, I actually want to see how long this credit sequence is. Now, that's three and a half minutes, but also there's what, like, you know, probably 
10, 15 seconds of the Paramount logo at the beginning, but still, so it's a little bit over three minute long opening credit sequence. It's I, and it's I not think the movie. It's like like yeah. it's it's it kind of reminds me of um Seven, how it's like its own standalone thing. Yes. Yes. Do you remember when everyone tripped balls over Seven's opening credits and like people would talk about it and that guy went on to do other Fincher credit sequences? Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, I, I love Seven as much as everybody else did. That movie, you know, changed my life too. And I thought those credit sequence worked really well in that movie. I thought that it kind of got overplayed out with movies moving forward. Oh, yeah. I love Seven too. I, I still think Brad Pitt sucks in it, but but that's, you know, neither here nor there. It's his worst role, actually. I think it's his worst acting he's ever done. I honestly haven't probably seen it since it probably first came out on DVD a long time ago. I don't feel any burning desire to re-watch it unless one day, 10 years down the road, Zach and I cover Fincher, you know, for an auteur or something, I'll probably revisit it. But otherwise, I I feel like I got what I needed to get out of that movie. Yeah, it's one of those movies that you don't need to see more than once. But I loved it, and I I loved it. It was right after Shawshank or right before Shawshank, so, of course, that was Morgan Freeman at his absolute best. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's great in that, in both movies. He's great. And so is uh, He Who Will Not Be Named Anymore. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Kaiser Soze, there you go. (laughs) Which is sad because... I love the movie The Ref, and uh, I've been oh, wanting to so, rewatch that. Oh, so that movie's fantastic. You know what movie he sucks in? You think in? you can take me? I'm Santa Claus. Ah, <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> me too. Dude, I'm a huge Dennis Leary fan. I watched the fuck out of The Ref back in the day, dude. Yeah, I haven't seen that forever. Okay. Same. Cam? Like, I watched it a million times, but haven't seen it since. Get on it, Cam. Cam's like, I know what my pick is for Christmas next year. <laughs> Yeah, because it's a Christmas movie. Uh, The movie opens with Dr. Bill Krushank, Jeff Fahey, uh, sitting across from a prisoner named Ray Kohlberg, Paul Benvictor, who's in handcuffs. Bill takes a tape recorder out of his pocket and places it on the table and asks Ray what happened this morning. Ray describes killing his cellmate with a shiv in gory detail. Bill asks how it makes him feel to have taken another man's life. Ray says he feels great. He's going to still be alive come tomorrow morning, but not that son of a bitch. Raven asks how Bill feels. Does he feel okay sitting there just looking at him like some kind of fucking head case? Then he kind of pleads with Dr. Krushank to help him. Can you help me, Doc? Can you fucking do something? Like rewire me so I start doing the right fucking thing? No, I don't think so. Bill just watches Ray scream at him, knowing there's nothing he can really do to help. It's an absolutely amazing scene with a fantastic performance by Paul Benvictor. Now, real quick, guys, I was actually, I didn't want to transcribe all the text because I was going to just insert that scene in here. But I went to YouTube to try to find it. And I typed in body parts, 1991 movie, got a couple, you know, clips, got a, got a couple like trailers then started getting like autopsy videos or abortion videos. I'm like, what the fuck? And I was like, I don't want to see this. So I stopped looking. So I don't know if I, if, if I can find that clip at all, I will insert it here. But if you don't hear it, it means I got too terrified of YouTube and ran away. Yeah. Note to everyone, because I, I typed in body parts. I like watching movies on YouTube as well, because you can, you know, there's sometimes there's a uh, like a 
if I'm at the gym or something, I can watch it like my funsy viewing. Um, if you're going to watch, if you're going to look for body parts, be very specific. Type in Jeff Fahey, type yeah. in Eric Red, type in as much details as possible on YouTube. Otherwise, you're going to get your knock. Otherwise, you're going to get a knock at your door. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to become a, you're going to get on the FBI's list <laughs> like like Corey did. By the way, I, I'm going to tell you guys something real, real bad, real fucking bad. <laughs> I was trying to find a GIF of uh, from Swingers when he goes, you know, our baby boys all grows up and he's all grows up and he's all grows up. And I went to Google and I just like I always do. I just typed in, you know, some some keywords. I typed in Swingers, baby boy, and I got a warning, like an FBI warning saying, do not search for like child pornography. I was like, no, it's Swingers. It's the movie. Ah! And, you know, looking back at what I actually typed into the search and I was like, oh, I'm smarter than this. I should have known better. So guys and gals, be careful with what you put into Google. You're not running for president uh, on the MAGA ticket. So unfortunately, you're going to get flagged. If you were, you'd be totally fine. Oh, if I was, I'd, I'd, I'd be the, the GOP nomination for, for president. So it's all good. Uh, Epstein <laughs> right. Island, man. It doesn't fucking nothing fucking matters anymore, guys and gals. <laughs> Cut to <laughs> cut to nighttime in a small suburban neighborhood. The movie is supposed to take place in New York State, but it was filmed in Toronto, Canada. Because of this, we have a lot of real snow in the movie, and I fucking love it. Now, watching the Eric Red interview, he specifically wanted this movie to be snowy because he felt like it added to that sense of dreariness and that sense of dread. And there's multiple scenes in this movie where it's just snowing and it's not like a big deal. And just, I'm just like, I fucking love it. It's awesome. Yeah. I also am a huge fan of dates in movies or movies that, that will point out specific dates. So, you know, 20, 30 years from now you can go, but like on this date, this happened or whatever. And this is one of those movies where they, it takes place on a certain time in November and I guess in when it was released, uh, that date hadn't happened yet. So it was in the future, so to speak. I just love, I just, it's a little thing. I also want to really quickly point out the fact that, um, uh, the composer is, uh, I believe, well, it's, it's a, I can't, I'm going to bastardize his name too. I think it's Loic Diker or Dicker D I K K E R. Um, I believe he's a German composer. I just love the score for this movie. Uh, and he's got a lot of, you know, foreign films under his belt. Um, but uh, anyways, I'm, I just, I really like the score. No, I'm glad you called that out because, um, you know, I'm not as musically inclined as you, but I definitely, I heard the score when I was watching this movie and I felt that it added a lot to the film. Yeah. It has a very, like, he uses like a, for lack of a better term, like a, one of the, like a, like a, like a, like a bow on a sheet piece of sheet metal to make that sound, you know, I know what you mean. Yeah. Very like reminiscent of hammer horror films or like eerie old timey horror films, which makes sense because Eric red is a massive horror fan. He wanted to do, because his first couple movies weren't really horror, he wanted to do an actual proper horror movie. Um, although I th- I'd say this movie's probably about 60% thriller, 40% horror. But he had, his his background is Hammer Horror Films, Peter Cushing, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that tracks for sure. He's also a uh, accomplished novelist, too. He's written quite a few books, apparently. Oh, so. oh wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, 
Bill is in bed writing about what the effects of paternal and other external acts of violence are on a child growing up. His area of study and interest are what forces, internal or external, make someone become bad. His wife, Karen, Kim Delaney, tells him it sounds good when he reads it back to her. Bill sighs and tears up the paper and throws it away. When Karen asks why he did that, Bill says sometimes he just hates what he's doing. It just doesn't make sense. She's, she asks if he's upset about the new case in prison. Yeah, I am. This Kohlberg, right? He's in for 20 years for cutting up his high school sweetheart. Then last week, he kills his cellmate. Now, if I can prove that he can be redeemed, that there's some vestige of conscious or sanity, well, that makes this guy eligible to fry. Karen reminds him, you don't pass sentence. That's for the judges, juries, and lawyers. You have to fight to get this guy back to his soul. And Zach, there's the thesis of the movie. And, you know, we've talked about it before, but writers, filmmakers, they'll always put the thesis at the beginning of the film somewhere. And this one is, where does evil live and can the evil person be redeemed? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. You hit the nail on the head for sure. Bill says that he'd like to cure just one person. Prove once and for all that you can shake a shattered mind and put it all back together again. But the problem is he's never actually seen it happen. Bill thinks he's a fraud, but his wife says he's the best man she knows. Aw, aw. What a, what a loyal partner in crime. Um couple things I want to point out in this scene is Jeff Fahey's horrible hair in this uh, and, and, and how my hair looks like that too now at this stage because uh, I've grown it out. And uh, I also want to point out, I'm watching him, I'm like, he looks so much like that actor Alex MacArthur too. There, uh, that guy has a very similar look to Jeff Fahey, just doesn't have those steel blue eyes. Alex MacArthur is in a movie directed by William Friedkin called Rampage, which is coming out on, I believe, Kino's releasing that. Someone's releasing Rampage soon. Uh, Michael Bean is in that as well. Alex MacArthur plays like the serial killer. They have a similar vibe, like that straight hair. Um, what year you know, was Rampage? I feel like it was, I want to say late 80s rampage came out oh 87 with michael bean you said oh there it is alex MacArthur. um let me look at him he doesn't have an imdb picture god damn really he doesn't he doesn't that's shocking because that dude was in a ton of things back in the day uh including the made for tv movie heat uh well what heat ended up becoming uh, I think it's Showdown in L.A. or something like that. But for those that don't know, the Michael Mann's Heat was actually a TV movie directed by Michael Mann before it became Heat. Yeah. Michael Mann likes to revisit his stuff and kind of tweak it and, and build upon it and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. Look at all like look at Thief. Thief is Heat. So yeah. but anyways, that's a whole other conversation for when we break down Manhunter someday. Oh, yeah. That'll that'll come around for sure. Cam, <laughs> Robert, Paulette. The next morning, we see Bill getting ready for work while Karen makes breakfast for the two kids, Samantha and Billy. Uh, they're about 9 and 12, I'd say, right? Yeah, and it's pretty obvious that he is affectionate with the daughter and he's an asshole to his son. 
<laughs> it's a piece of playful ass. So I do. I did note it. So go, they all walk Bill out to the front door, and he says he'll be home around six p.m. He kisses Karen and Samantha, and gives Billy a playful forehead tap before getting into the car. I'm like, what is this though? Like, yeah, that's right. as a as a as a father of a young son. It's just it's just not my style. It's not my style, baby. Well, I'm like, it was fuck the... you. That's why your son's going to turn out to be an asshole because you didn't give him, you know, affectionate love. Like, hey, I'm going to throw the football with my son and I'm going to hug my daughter. I-, I mean, this is exactly how my dad was. <laughs> I think yeah, it was look, the times. You know, look how Corey turned out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Corey <laughs> can't wrong. cry. Can't, Corey can't. will not cry. <laughs> I will not cry in front of I'm anyone else. You, dude. Myra loves to try to watch me cry and everything. And I see her like looking at me when it happens. But like, I, I hate it. I fucking hate it. If that tear comes down, <laughs> I suck it right back up. Yeah. And I'm always trying to get Corey to like get, like, get emotional and, and uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> uh, and of course, uh, this scene is kind of kind of going to be redone a couple times, but it, it is. I feel like this scene is like the anchor um, to kind of show that he's how good of a dad he is. Well, maybe not perfect with his son, but he's still I mean, a pretty good dad. He, you're supposed to think he's a great dad, and it's fine. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm splitting hairs. I mean, you're not wrong though. It was the times. Yep. As Bill is driving on the highway to prison. For his fourth session with Kohlberg, he's dictating to his assistant what he needs her to do into this, like, portable tape recorder. Also, he's not wearing a seatbelt. Nope. So he gets what he deserves. (laughs) I did note later he is wearing a seatbelt, though. I think he learned his lesson. (laughs) Yep. As Bill is talking, he sees the car in front of him has a wonky back tire. He starts to trail off while talking when all of a sudden the tire shoots off, almost hitting Bill's car. He dodges the tire and he and the other car come to a complete stop in the right lane. This was a bad idea because a semi-truck is driving full speed into that lane. Guys and gals, always pull over onto the shoulder. You know what's really weird about this? Um, The night I watched this movie earlier that day, I was on the freeway. And uh, I was with my son and uh, uh, another kid, and the kid was saying, did you know that semis will sometimes rear-end you on purpose so that you you can get, like, they can get insurance money or something? Like, he was describing some sort of kind of conspiracy theory Mm. about big rigs and, and, and causing accidents or, like, if a big rig... Uh, if it rear ends you and they're not like, they're not held liable because of their brake systems or something like that. Uh, anyways, he, we were literally just having that conversation. And like two hours later, I'm putting this movie on and I'm watching this scene unfold. And I'm like, did I just dodge a final destination bullet? <laughs> the answer is yes. Well, buddy, I actually dodged a final destination bullet uh, with a semi truck. I was driving to work uh, back when I worked at Diamond Comics uh, in Baltimore. So I was driving from Albany up to Baltimore. I had about a you know 45 minute to an hour commute um, every day. And you're going up. I'm, I'm driving up the highway, the freeway, but about to get to the Baltimore Beltway, uh, 695. Um, but I'm driving up 70. And, you know, it's it's like your typical 60-mile-an-hour road and everything. There's a semi-truck in front of me. I'm behind him. And one of the back tires 
you know, I'm, we're driving. All of a sudden, I see a, a this white spray shoot out of it, you know? And I was just like, huh, that's interesting. Then all of a sudden, the entire fucking tire disintegrates Whoa. in front of me and flies off and heads right at me in the driver's seat. I have to, f- like, quickly, like I'm talking, like, Batman reflexes, drive onto the shoulder as I literally watch this an entire tire, although it's unraveled, shoot right past my head. And those things, I think if that thing fucking hit the windshield, it would have shattered the windshield for sure. I don't know if I would have been fucking killed by it or not, but I'm telling you, I dodged that motherfucker by like an inch. And then he kept driving. Like, I don't even think he fucking knew. That's wild. Yeah. That was fucking insane. But not as wild as what's about to happen here. Right. The semi honks, so the semi's barreling down on them. The semi honks and slams on its brakes, but there isn't enough room. <laughs> I thought you were farting. Oh, maybe I was. <laughs> Bill looks up into the rear view just as the truck slams into the back of him. The force of the impact launches Bill out the front window of his car and onto the roof of the car in front of him. At the same time, the car in front of him bends up in the middle, shooting Bill into the air again and onto the pavement below. So everything we see here, Zach, can we agree, is fucking amazing. Yeah, uh, the, 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 like the freeze frame shot of him looking in the rear view is my favorite part, actually, to be honest with you. It's so, that's like the moment that, that's the oh shit moment that he's having. So, apparently... The stunt went wrong. He that the stuntman was not supposed to shoot up in the air like that. Um, when the, I don't think the car itself was supposed to maybe bend that way, um, or maybe it wasn't. But he just was not supposed to shoot up in the air like that. So uh, during the stunt, and this is all according to Eric Red's interview on the Shout Factory Blu-ray. Uh, during the stunt, they had about six cameras all on it, right, watching it. After the stunt was done and they knew it went wrong, uh, first things first, ask if the guy's okay, the stuntman's okay, yeah, thumbs up, A-okay, no problem. Then next question is, did anyone fucking get it? None of them did. None of the camera operators of the other six guys got it uh, because he wasn't supposed to shoot straight up. No one was prepared for that. Uh, they had to cut together other footage that, like, he had a couple stationary cameras set up around, like, inside the vehicles and stuff like that. And that's how we kind of even, and you even see, like, the stomach kind of shoots out of frame. Like, you're like, oh, I won't actually see that because it wasn't supposed to happen. Right. And uh, I, I don't, I think it was originally just him supposed to land on the car like that um, or maybe just land on the pavement. Um, but what we're, what we're left with is an absolutely amazing, amazing stunt. Yeah, totally agree. It's impressive and so famously there is this like a cut scene that takes place right after this um where bill basically you know wakes up on the ground like on the pavement covered in blood and the way the camera's set up is that you see a hand sort of in the foreground you don't know it's his uh, camera pulls back you see it's his severed arm he kind of tries to go reach for it with his right stump and that's when you sort of see that his arm is gone and then another semi runs over his arm destroying it and that's kind of the only reason i sort of bring it up is because that's kind of illustrates why they don't just reattach his own arm 
Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that that cutscene's in on the Blu-ray, isn't it? it? It is, and the studio made him cut it because they thought that they were going to get an X rating for it. Um, they actually submitted it to the MPAA. They still got it rated R uh, with that scene. So he was like, okay, we're keeping it in. The studio was like, no, we're going to still cut it. And he said, like, you know, he didn't approve of that decision now. And it also, at the time, he didn't approve of that decision. And it also taught him a lesson that if you're going to go against the, the studio, is always going to win. But he says, looking at it now, he likes this the theatrical cut better because it kind of also sets up this false expectation that there's going to be this super high gore count throughout the movie. Whereas it kind of lulls, and not in a bad way. But we don't really get it gory again until, like, the last 15, 20 minutes of the movie. For an 88-minute movie, though, I mean, part of me is like, he's probably just saying that. But uh, because— He's, he's I, made his peace with it. Yeah, he's made his peace with it. Bottom line is they should have kept it in because it would have ju- it would have justified even more the necessity for him to have someone else's arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the main thing to take away from it is that's why. And I didn't even think about it at the time, but I was like, okay, that makes sense. His arm got destroyed. That's why they couldn't just reattach it. Right. I mean, and, and for for this kind of movie, you you put that scene in there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Cut to so Karen. Fuck, fuck, fuck studios once again. <laughs> yeah, always. <laughs> Cut to Karen waiting at the hospital for any word on how her husband is doing. We see a large group of police officers holding shotguns walk by. There's a priest with them, too. Just then, Dr. Webb, Lindsay Duncan, walks up to Karen and tells her that Bill is stable and he's lucky to have survived the accident. He'll live, but they can't save his arm. That's a perfect example right there. That that makes it sound like he had an arm to be saved. Good point. Yes. Yeah, good point. So I wonder if they added that after the fact. That's yeah, no, that's actually a good point because then it that implies that they had the arm that, but they couldn't, yeah, save it because otherwise you'd say the arm was lost, right? Wouldn't it be funny though, like if they did attach this? Fl- I mean, no, it's not funny. I'm, it's very dark. Like this piece of beef jerky to his arm, and then, <laughs> yeah, I don't think this is gonna work. <laughs> no, it's guys, gotta, it, it's gonna work. Look, <laughs> it's gonna work. <laughs> Fucking like, uh, flat Stanley, one side with his arms flat Stanley now. Sorry, it's just like a a sausage, you know, just meat packed into a bag. It's just the casing. It's just the casing. casing, Yeah. (laughs) Doctor Webb tells Karen to listen very carefully. I can give him a new arm. The distraught partner thinks Doctor Webb means a prosthetic arm. We, she says, we have a donor who suits your husband. We can give him a normal human arm, as fully functional as the one he's lost. Dr. Webb says they need to perform the operation immediately to maximize success, but they need her signature before doing so. Karen asks if they can wait and ask Bill, but the doctor says there's no time. Every second counts. Karen reluctantly signs the paperwork. And I think Kim Delaney does an excellent job selling this scene. She does, and the doctor does an excellent job of looking like an asshole because she shoves the pen in her hand like you don't have a choice. You're yeah. just going to do it. You're going to do it. And to be honest with you, like that does happen sometimes in, in situations. Yeah, no, I, I don't doubt it. And, you know, Eric Red said he he made an active choice of wanting the quote unquote Dr. Frankenstein of this movie to be a woman, because while now it probably seems actually a bit cliche at the time, you know, it kind of wasn't. Yeah. And I think he, he made the right call. Agreed. 
Agreed. I clicked my my mouth, you know. Agreed. Know me too. That's why that's why I'll always repeat myself if you ever yeah. Agreed. Cut Agreed. to Bill. Trying to give myself a clean intro. Fuck it. I'll just use what I got. Agreed. I hate you. <laughs> Sorry. Cut to Bill getting wheeled into the operating room. He's missing his right arm at the shoulder socket and seems to be wide awake, but most likely in shock. Dude, it yeah. was gross when you could like see into his fucking hole. <laughs> his hole. His, is- the hole that's not supposed to be there. That's the only time you're going to hear Corey say it's gross that I could see inside his hole. <laughs> yeah, every other time. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> um, we see the room from his perspective. There's an empty table for him, and on the other table, there's a man surrounded by those armed police officers from earlier. Dr. Webb walks up to Bill and tells him there's nothing to worry about. He looks over at the other patient but can't see their face. A priest is giving the man last rites. We also see Detective Sawchuck, Zakes Mackay, is present. Dr. Webb goes to the donor to begin the operation. On a TV monitor, we see a CGI representation of human and below the words separation in progress. Bill watches in horror as she fires up the bone saw and starts to make the cut on what I originally assume is the arm. Just then, a nurse gives Bill anesthesia, and as he's fighting to stay awake, he sees the other person's head being removed from the body. I was just as shocked as Bill when I saw this. Once Dr. Webb takes the head away, Detective Sawchuck snaps his fingers, and he and the armed guards leave the room. Bill slowly fades into unconsciousness. So, dude... Watching it, I just assumed she was going to cut off his arm, right? The 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 patient's arm. But right. you actually see when it says separation of progress on that like CGI body, you see the head come off, and I my jaw literally hit the ground. This is the moment where you have you start laughing. You have to laugh because it's so bonkers off the wall. I mean, you would think you would kill. My God, like what? What like? jury would like you know approve this kind of like execution well i guess that's the thing there no one would right but then all the police officers are there like how often does someone get executed by getting decapitated never (laughs) yeah but it's starting the precedence right it's the beginning of of what they're hoping will be the future yeah fun fact those um body works exhibits if people are curious Almost all of those bodywork, you know, where they use plastonics, where they put plastic in the body, those are all like uh, Chinese prisoners who've given their lives, you know, signed their life away. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I thought, yeah, I think I knew that they were like convicts or prisoners or something like that. I I didn't know if they were American. I I didn't, I assume they were American actually, but yeah, it makes actually more sense. I think they're Chinese. Chinese. And then, yeah, and then there's a cool German film. Um, is it called autopsy? It, it came out maybe 20 years ago now, but it's it, the, the serial killer fills people's bodies with plastonics. So they freeze in that pose. It's kind of cool. And then I think yeah. the, the woman from run Lola run Franca Patente is in it. So, oh, okay. I love her. It kind of, it's, it's kind of like, that's a little bit of a play maybe on uh waxworks, that movie. Little no, bit. not waxworks, uh, house of wax. 
House of Wax, yeah, and better than Wax Works. Yes, no, I, I, I apologize. I fucking hate Wax Works. Sorry, David. <laughs> Sorry, David. And we try to knock us off that hill like uh, the bully in Eight Bit Christmas. Come have a piece of this delicious strawberry cake because that ain't gonna happen, son. <laughs> David's like, you hate Wax Works. You're not doing Wes Craven next. Why am I friends with you? Spoiler! Because <laughs> uh, you love us, David, and we love you too, David. David Irons, go buy David Irons' books, for crying out loud. And go buy Robert Ortiz's books, for crying out loud, too. Yeah, we have very talented friends. My God. Well, because we don't hang out with losers. That's right, God damn it. <laughs> Fuck the losers. But no, seriously, There's... go uh, Robert Ortiz. Um, he has a couple, uh, he has um, his, his poetry. He put out a book of his poetry. Um, and David uh, is, is a very accomplished horror writer. Um, yeah, I'm very, very impressed by, by all of our friends, the talent that all of our friends have. Look at all this talent. And Diallo, we know you're listening. And you're, of course, we love you. And you're the top of the talent pool. Oh, God, I've, I've. I'm I am a fan of I've always been a fan of Diallo. We know that. Come on, Diallo. All y'all. Okay, anyway, sorry. Yeah. If you want more of this, go listen go sign up to Patreon where we where we Stark. glaze everyone's donut. <laughs> there you go. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. In a world that has been completely divided for so long. Two movie fans have decided to unite for the people and the betterment of mankind. One, an action movie buff. The other, a horror movie fanatic. Together, they will try to bridge the gap of both genres into one podcast with their battle cry, Give me back my action and horror movies. Listen along as Charlie and Nate alternate each week talking about action and horror movies they cherish, mostly from the VHS era. Also, including some modern examples that felt like the movies they grew up with by answering the battle cry. Give me back my action and horror movies. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Look them up on Facebook and Instagram. And now, back to the show. Fade in on Bill sitting up in bed post-surgery. His arm is in an elaborate sling, and he has a breathing tube in his mouth. All kinds of monitors and tubes are hooked up to him. He's awake, but can't talk or really move his head because his neck's in that brace. Dr. Webb and Karen slowly come into the frame on either side of him. Webb introduces herself and explains what happened and what they had to do. Jeff Fahey is doing some amazing eye acting in this scene. Uh, Karen asks if they can be alone, and when the doctor leaves, she comforts her husband, and she tells him it'll be okay, and she kind of brushes his hair. Dude, Jeff Fahey is awesome. Every actor in this movie is fantastic, but Jeff Fahey is truly a standout. And the eye shit that he's doing here, like almost crying, like I, I knew exactly what he was thinking. I knew exactly what that character was thinking the entire time. Corey knows... What I'm thinking with my eyes as well sometimes. I do. It's usually, though, your farts that give it away. Pretty much. <laughs> Man, why is... Why the hell is Jeff Fahey not like like an A-list movie actor, man? I think he's a quirky dude. Uh, okay. 
uh, my buddy, our buddy Jonathan London interviewed him and kind of, kind of alluded to that. I think, I think a lot of times these guys, you know, are, are maybe not the easiest to work with. Well, I mean, it's funny when you think, you know, he has like 12 or 13 like siblings, like you kind of have to probably develop a personality that stands out. Otherwise you kind of disappear into the crowd. What is it, the fucking home in Caddyshack, Danny Noonan's family? Because doesn't Danny Noonan have, like, 12 <laughs> siblings? Something where like the, that. Where the dad's like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you keep track of all those kids? I don't know, dude. Oh, Catholic people, stop having so many babies, for crying out loud. Seriously. <laughs> I know so many Catholic people. I have six kids. Do you? But do you enjoy your life? Yeah. No, you don't really. If you have that many kids, you don't enjoy your life because you know what? Your whole life becomes about those kids. Just have one. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone I know that's our age that has kids just has one now. Yeah. I mean, Kristen would love to have more, but I'm like, no, we're good. We're good. We're good. (laughs) She's like, are we? I'm like, yeah, we are. There's a time jump, and Dr. Webb is cutting the bandages off Bill's arm. There are deep cuts and stitches down the length of it, and more patchwork skin by the shoulder. Oof. uh, Yeah, it's rough. The the effects are really good here. Dr. Webb asks if he can move the arm. Bill looks down at his mangled appendage and concentrates. It barely moves, but that's good enough for Webb at this point. Dude, this scene disgusted me when I saw that arm. Yeah, this is not one of those like oh, gross and in, in a cool way. This there are a lot of moments in this where you're like, oh, this feels super painful, Ugh. and then it gets oh, gross in a good way. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Another time jump, and Bill is in therapy with a nurse. His arm is still bandaged and and in a metal brace, but looking better overall. He tries to lift a small hand weight, but it's very difficult. Bill keeps struggling as the nurse tells him he can do it. All of a sudden, his arm flies forward with ease, almost in like sort of a punching motion. Yeah. Bill looks down at at it, then at the nurse, asking if she saw it, and she says she did, and she kind of looks concerned. And then we get a little montage of Bill doing different therapy workouts with his arm strength gaining, with his strength gaining over time. Be funny if his arm was in that. You remember the first Pocket Hero action figures that came out that were like three inches big? They would it was like Batman, Superman, the Hulk, Spider Man, and they all had the same pose. They had one arm that they're called Pocket Heroes. They made a Mister Mixelplex too, actually. Um, Pocket Heroes, it's a it's a forgotten toy, I think. But they had one arm that looks like they're jerking themselves off, basically. It's and it's meant to come up and hold like something in their hand, you know. But it totally, if you look up Pocket Heroes, uh, they they look like they're giving themselves a good old once-over. Oh, oh yeah. I Okay, yes, I see it here. I had to look them up. Um, I think maybe Mego put them out, I think out, Mego possibly? put them out. Yeah, Mego yeah. put them out. They were cool. Like, yeah, they look like, uh, I don't have an exact date, but they look like they're probably, what, early 80s maybe? Early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. And I believe they were like the some of the first smaller action figures yeah they're almost a little super 70 ish like kind of yeah but then like the capes were cool they were like hard plastic and oh it's uh it was in 79 and 80 that was the two yeah series okay yeah i had a couple when i was a kid and then sad story about that 
<laughs> I ne- I never I mean I've heard of them you've talked about them but I don't ever remember even seeing them but I was also I was born in 78 so that was still probably a little bit too early for me you're you're like a year and a half almost two years older than me so. I'm 76 but also my brother's five years older so I yeah. would inherit a lot of his toys too right yeah and I think at that point those would be too small I would probably what put it in my mouth or what it's not good to have toys that small when you're two right put, put in your mouth <laughs> I love it. You're like, what? Put it in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> the first, so the first thing you think of is, is that going to go in your mouth? <laughs> Honestly, Bodie never did that. He, I was like, when is our kid going to rip up my vinyl records? Never. When is our kid going to like put toys that he's not supposed to put in his mouth? Never. Never did any of that stuff. Never. And I'm like, oh, okay. Either he's the exception to the rule, or that's just a broad generalization. I mean, I didn't trash my toys when I was a kid either. No, I don't think kids, you know, like uh, you see kids and doing all sorts of crazy shit. And you're like, oh, kids, kids do this. Now, no, I don't know why we get on a kid's tip right now. But anyways. <laughs> kids say the darndest things. They sure do. And then Billy's going to say, well, <laughs> Bill's daughter is going to say something pretty soon to really piss him off. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking at? <laughs> Bitch. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, oh, it's actually uh, my favorite mo- scene in the movie. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes. Cut to Bill packing up his clothes and family pictures into a small suitcase. He's finally ready to go home. Karen, Billy, and Samantha are there, and so is Dr. Webb. Bill says he can't find the words to thank her. She just sticks out her hand, and he shakes it with his new Frankenstein hand. There's a cool uh, shot of him zipping up his luggage bag too with his man it's like a seinfeld moment with his giant hand and a small hand yeah (laughs) by the way this at this moment or maybe it's coming up soon reminded me of the eye segment in the body bags movie uh john carpenter's body bags movie and this is so much better than that segment i i believe yeah that's it's that was a wild one dude that was a wild one (laughs) oh yeah mark hamill is no jeff fahey nope not at all Seriously, though, Mark Hamill is no Jeff A.E. Nope. But probably nicer to work with. That's why he's doing so well. (laughs) There you go. As Bill and his family, with Dr. Webb, exit the hospital, they are greeted by a wall of reporters and news cameras. One of the (laughs) reporters asks how it feels to have someone else's arm. Another asks if the operation will affect his sex life. That would have been me as a reporter. (laughs) Well, what's the one where... uh, the guy hammers back and he's like, how does it affect yours? Fuck you or something like that. And uh, I forget what movie that's from, but that it reminded me of that moment when, oh, yeah, the, just, when the reporter asked that question. Yeah, I was just I was just thinking about him jerking off with his new Frankenstein arm, you know? Well, that too, yeah. <laughs> Bill says, I really don't think you people should be talking to me. You should be pointing the cameras at Dr. Webb. She's going to be a Nobel Prize winner. Dr. Webb says she hopes that in a few years' time, the procedure which Bill Krushank underwent will become commonplace. She then leads Bill and his family through the wave of reporters as if she were their bodyguard. Yeah. And I'm going to, I know I'm going to screw up your life. <laughs> Good one. Cut to the family back at Cassidy Krushank. Bill is getting ready to show his kids his new arm. Mommy explained why I was away in the hospital, right? 
and she told you I got hurt, and, well, they took care of me in the hospital, and I'm better now. And I just want to know if you have any questions. Billy and Samantha say they don't have any questions. He says he doesn't want them to be worried. He loves them, and he's still the same dad he was before. Now, I wrote dad. Jeff he said daddy, and I hated that. It made me throw up a little bit in my mouth. Yeah, and at this point, I'm like, here's his tough guy love to his son, Billy. Yeah, yep, of course. Because 1990. Where kids still had mullets, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I, I always look at, I never think of 90 as being like the 90s. To me, 90, 91, it still kind of has that 80s vibe and feel to it. Just like 80, 81 still has a 70s vibe to it. Exactly. I, I think. I think like the look of a of a decade doesn't usually start until about the second or third year of that decade. Agreed. Like Fast Times, what is that? Is that 82 or 83? I think it's 82 Fast Times. Anyways, yeah, I think Fast Times was the first movie to kick off, oh, this is an 80s movie. To right, me. right. But it wasn't like 1980, though. No, no. Cause you look and I at, still got some no. 70s vibes from, from some aesthetic of Fast Times as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Samantha asks if they can see the arm. Karen tells them maybe later, but Bill says that they have to see it at some point. Maybe at dinner time. <laughs> yeah. Check this out, guys. Shows off his fucking sausage. Are we sleeve. having pork ro- <laughs> po- Are we having pork chops again for dinner, Dad? <laughs> yep. And he's by the way, he's kind of got these uh the scars on his on top of his like hand. Kind of remind me of like Wolverine. It's like where his blades sort of come out, yeah. you know? Yeah. He rolls up his sleeve, and we see two long scars on his hand. Uh, as I wrote that even like Wolverine's claws. And long scars up the length of his arm. It's gnarly, but also pretty cool looking. When Bill rotates his arm over, we see another long scar on his wrist and palm, but also a faint tattoo on the wrist. And I'm surprised that like Bill never like even inquired about this tattoo. Um, I think that's like a misstep with the writing, to be honest with you. Yeah, and, and as, as awesome as this movie is, the script isn't perfect because there are some things like that where it's like you would think in reality he would have asked about it, but it's got to play off later in, in the movie, and it's fun when it does play off. But if he already knew that, then the playoff wouldn't have wouldn't have worked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, yeah. And there's a couple things in the script where I'm like, ooh, I would not have done that. Well, we'll get to it later, though. I was going to say, yes, please, all, you know, and interject whenever that comes up. Samantha gets scared and buries her face in Karen's shoulder while mommy. Billy says it's sort of gross. Mommy! No, mommy! <laughs> no, daddy's with his arm. <laughs> Bill says, come on, guys. I know it looks a little funny, but it's not how it looks. It's how it works, right? And it does work just as good as the old arm. Matter of fact, it works even better in some ways. Probably referring to jerking off because you know <laughs> he had to take it for a spin at some point. It's his right arm. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, it's his right arm. Yeah, <laughs> unless he's all because I'm I'm right-handed and I use my right arm. I've never been able to use my left arm. Like I tried and it just doesn't work. That you way. give yourself a stranger. Well, that's when you sit on it and make your hand go numb. <laughs> oh, see, folks, I don't know what that means. So <laughs> Samantha says she still loves him and they hug. Bill then takes his son outside to throw the old football around. Uh, cut to Bill and Billy throwing the football back and forth in the street because, you know, that's what you did back in the 90s I or 80s. Yep. Karen watches and smiles. 
And the movie ends, and they all live happily ever after. Look what we've gone to each other. <laughs> I don't know. I made that up. Uh, and did you notice the, the slight snow in this scene as well? Yeah, I love snow in movies. Me too, buddy. One of the things that I liked about 8-Bit Christmas was that you could tell that they filmed someplace where there was real snow, and it wasn't, like, fake and shit. Real snow. Just film in Toronto, guys. It's just real snow, man. This is pure snow. Do you know what the street value is of this stuff? <laughs> I was waiting, waiting for you to say that. Cut to Bill and Karen in bed. They're looking at each other, and she's rubbing his new arm. <laughs> she touches the scars and tells him how much she missed him. I got to say, so my stepdad growing Cold. up, um, he he was a very hairy man, uh, extremely hairy. But his body, as a kid, he got burned because he tipped over the fucking boiling water on the um, stove, you know? So he had these big chunks of, like, burned, you know, scar tissue on his chest and everything. And it looks just like his fucking uh, Bill's shoulder part in the movie, how it's kind of got that weird coloration to it and everything. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus, you're triggering memories of sleepaway camp. Right, yeah, when the guy gets the fucking uh, oh. giant scalded, yeah, dies, yeah. No, he Jesus. doesn't die, though, technically, does he? He just gets burned, I think. Yeah, they. Yeah, he doesn't die. I love sleep. Why have we not? I'm waiting for you to bring Sleepaway Camp uh, one of these days. Um, I know. I think I was going to do it this past summer. I'm waiting for, like, summer camp. Okay, okay. I We both love that movie. You and I both We're love doing it. it. But Zach kind of called dibs on uh, doing doing that one. Uh, Paulette right now is probably like, that's my movie. I'm doing that one. Like, Hold on. <laughs> Actually, go for it if you want to. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to. I won't turn down Sleepaway Camp if anyone nope, wants to never. do that. Yeah. So <laughs> this is funny. Bill then uses his Frankenstein arm. And this is funny. Bill then uses his Frankenstein arm to finger bang Karen. No way. Until she eventually gets on top of him and they do the dirty deed, a.k.a. make love. No way. If I was Karen, I'd be like, get that fucking hand out of me. No way. There's, I I mean, I was waiting for her to suck the fingers, too. I was like, no. uh -uh." And she would have looked at the wrist at that point and been like, what is that? What does that mean? She would have looked at it. Yeah. I think I think so. Yeah, that's that is a glaring thing that I'm like, and they even show it like in that shot when she show you know he shows it to his kids. I'm like, you can see the tattoo. Like, is no one inquiring about this tattoo? Oh God, when he does that, I'm just like, oh man, it's it's the equivalent of not washing your hands and 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 having sex. You know, like mm-hmm. after being outside or whatever. Ugh, nope, nope. Yeah, think about I mean, think about what I mean. I'm sure it was sterilized, but still, still. You can't sterilize all those kills and death away. Nope. Clearly, that's the thesis of this movie. She's she's getting finger banged by a serial killer. Pretty much. Pretty much. The next day, Karen and the kids see Bill off to work like they did before. So kind of like, we, you know, we see it again, kind of illustrated again. But now mom and dad are kissing super long and the kids giggle. And Bill clearly has like a newfound lust for life. Yep. <laughs> again, movie ends and everyone lives happily ever after (laughs) now that we've got each other (laughs) cut to bill in college teaching his class of students now four months ago and then so of course that this is nice because it gives you a sort of a time reference now yeah that's cool we were discussing the psychological roots and wellsprings of human violence to continue on that 
What we have before us is a paradox, you see, because violence, when it's sanctioned by the state, is acceptable to us. For example, policemen defending our families and soldiers defending our country. We celebrate them as heroes. But this is not the case with the so-called freelance individual. Bill looks around at his students taking notes. He goes on. Because we regard individual acts of violence with repugnance and revulsion. What is it that makes a man, or a woman for that matter, this movie's too woke, who is normal in most respects, and kind of trails off as flashes of meat and bone are kind of being torn and they sort of flash across his mind? Bill blinks and continues, lose control of the restraints that make him a civilized being and do severe harm to others. He sees another flash of flesh and bone in his mind's eye, but he keeps his composure. Well, that's a mystery, and a mystery that you and I must explore to its very depths. Now, I, I like them. I like the, the the little flashes here, but they don't really. I mean, they kind of continue it a little bit more, but it's not something that sticks with the movie for very long. Yeah, yeah. It's just it. It's like drips and drabs. It's not consistent. So, that's that's another slight flaw to an otherwise enjoyable film. But clearly, he the, like Eric Red needed some kind of visual to show what like. What he was was Jeff Fahey was like, something, but I, I still don't get like what ripping bones and stuff is sort of illustrating. I, I mean, I get, I get it, I do get it, but I like it later when we see more of the him breaking the neck and stuff like that. I like that stuff. Yeah, me too, me too. Yeah, but I get, it. I mean, it's, it's supposed to tease like he's going through just agonizing, weird pains. The only thing maybe I would change about this if I were to do it is maybe he's looking out at his students and like he sees a girl and like he visualizes himself killing her and that kind of startles him. I think that would be kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a it follows moment where he sees the ghosts of his victims. That would be cool too, dude. I I feel like they did that with like one of those ghost movies with the eye that they did that in the VHS um, um, segment, I believe where the person gets, I think new eyes or something like that because they were blind and then they can start seeing ghosts. Yeah, yep, that was cool. Yeah, but yeah, it's a cool concept. I like it regardless, and I think that something like that would have worked here as well. Like I would, I think what we're both getting at is we would like for him to have seen something that was actually like it was a he was still looking out into the world that he inhabited, but something was in it as well that was in his mind's eye. Yeah, just tack on another minute, make it an eighty-nine minute movie, right? <laughs> Cut to the next morning, and Bill is shaving his face in the bathroom. I, you see this coming a mile away, what's going to happen. Oh, I hate, I hate razor scenes. I hate oh. razor scenes. I just do. I hate them. This one's worse than Mac in Predator. Since he's right-handed, he's using the Frankenstein arm. Bill cuts his face and yells out in pain. When his daughter, Samantha, asks what happened, he yells at her, What are you looking at? What are you looking at? He's so annoyed. It's so funny. It is hilarious. It is. It is. And, K- and Karen's kind of like, whoa, yeah, hold on. And she doesn't really chastise him here. She's going to chastise him big time later, but she doesn't really chastise him here. And she kind of kind of helps him with his cut. But this is, we were talking uh, earlier offline about how, um, you know, some scenes maybe drag on a little bit. This scene, it's like, it cuts so abruptly. Like, she's just like, here, let me help you and goes to grab something. And then the scene just like ends. And I, I do like how economical that is. Yeah, me too. Me too. I I feel like they don't 
spend enough time on her reactions to the things that happened because you would want to think like, what the hell is going on with this guy who never would act this way? She's like annoyed with him. Like he's an a- like straight up asshole versus going like, what is happening to you? You know, yeah. it's more just like, what's wrong with you? Her reactions are a little more, um, they're not, they're less sympathetic and more annoyed. I would have been okay with this being like a 95 minute movie and given us a little bit more of their relationship. Yeah. Of her going like, Bill, something's going on with you. This is not right. Versus just like, what is wrong with you? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or, or him going like, Oh my God, what did I just do? Versus carrying on the annoying, annoyed thing, which he's going to do later on too. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, we praise all the actors. I think any faults in this movie Lie kind of in the script. Yeah, no, I agree, because he, he acts perfectly. It's just more the the dialogue. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And as someone who transcribes some of the dialogue, it's a little wonky here and there. Back at the prison, Bill has another meeting with Ray Kohlberg. His tape recorder's on the table like before. How's it going, Doc? Heard you've been on the TV. Heard you're a regular freak of science. Bill says he was lucky. Ray says he doesn't look very good. When Bill asks him to clarify, Ray says, you look like shit, man. Maybe you got some kind of little demon inside of you these days. You've been losing sleep lately? Bill asks if looking like shit makes it easier for Ray to talk to him. Prisoner kind of agrees. Bill says that he wants Ray to trust him, then holds out his Frankenstein hand for the incarcerated man to grab. When they hold hands, Bill looks at the bottom of Ray's wrist and sees the same tattoo that that his new arm has. It says Striker. Bill quickly rotates his own hand to reveal it, and Ray now sees it. The killer says, They only give those out on death row, pal. You gotta be a stone killer to wear that shit. Ray rips his hand away from Bill's. What kind of shrink are you, man? Ray starts freaking out, saying he won't talk to him and tell him to get away from him. The scene ends kind of abruptly. Unfortunately, this is the last time we're going to see uh, uh, Paul Ben Victor, unfortunately. Yeah, because he's getting his head cut off and right. his body parts shipped out to <laughs> Korea or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I didn't know if there was anything more to it. Now that's it. So the scene ends abruptly and cuts to Bill walking through a police station like a man on a mission right towards the identification unit where he asks a friend of his to run his prints. The officer takes his thumbprint, that's it, and runs it through a scanner, then a database. It doesn't take very long to get a match. Charles Fletcher, a career criminal and stone killer that was executed for his crimes. Bill's friend kind of looks at him in disbelief. So here's another thing. All right, you're going to give this guy a killer's hand. Now he has two sets of fingerprints, right? So, like, what if he ever legitimately gets in trouble with somebody? You know, he can – they're not going to – technically, they might not know which fingerprints are his. But also, too, how easy it is for him now to just find out who this arm belongs to. I'm surprised that they didn't remove the fingerprints during the surgery. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's what they would do now, I think. seems like scripts are a little bit smarter now that they would probably do that. Um, and, I, and, I, and I also want to point out the fact that Fletcher 
it looks an awful lot like Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> he fucking does, dude. I'm like, He's oh, this, this is our second it, Jeffrey Epstein uh, mention of the night. He's got that like kind of melon shaped head and like thick eyebrows and everything. Yeah, with yeah the dude, gray I, hair and yeah. Well, it's funny because I I was I wasn't going with Jeffrey Epstein. I was seeing the white hair and the the dark eyebrows. I was thinking of our friend and your neighbor Roy. But uh, oh, the, yeah. the Jeffrey Epstein thing works works better. And there I go is, more. There's with no Jeffrey connection Epstein between Roy, Roy and Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> just, yeah, personally, just so we put that out there. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 disturbing, and it makes you. Wonder all these questions as now Fahey has the hand of a massacre man. Massacre man. <laughs> I just made that up. I loved it. And I also loved the face you made when you said it. Massacre man. <laughs> That's good. Mm. Man. I, I can't even do it. I like that, though. <laughs> Later that night, Bill is in bed with his wife. They're both asleep, but Bill is having a nightmare about the people Charles Fletcher killed. We see a woman getting her neck snapped and a cop getting killed. Bill wakes up in horror. A small time jump and he's sitting on the edge of the bed smoking a cigarette. Ah, the 80s. Ah, the 80s. Yeah, you could smoke a cig in bed. Uh, And, and of course, we say the 80s because it was filmed probably in 1989 anyways, you know. But, yeah, dude, that was, like, such... You know, even as even when I smoke cigarettes, um, I smoked in my dorm in college, and that taught me to never smoke inside. And I mean, I smoked for another like ten plus years after college. I never once again smoked inside any place I lived. It's disgusting. It is. It is, guys. But it looks cool as hell. You know what else is disgusting is uh, Bill's style in this movie. Mock turtlenecks. Sorry, never a fan. <laughs> never a fan of those. Never a fan of collarless button-up shirts like Montel Williams used to oh, wear. Yeah. Both of those trends uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, Terrible with a capital Terrible. Or when you had, like, you wanted to have a turtleneck, but you were wearing a vest and you didn't want the turtleneck to be underneath. So it was just like this neck thing that came down. The dicky. Do it's called those? a dicky. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Not a dicky. Not something you tied, but it was actually... It would make it look like you're wearing a turtleneck, you know, uh, but, you know, it, it was just covered and you just stuffed it under what else you were wearing. So, like, say you're wearing a T-shirt, it would, like, stick out right here, but it only went to, like, right here. That's a that's a dicky. I thought the dicky you actually had to tie. No, 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 no. The dicky. No, you're that. That's uh, that's an ascot. An ascot. Yeah. Oh, OK, sorry. You, you, Zach was 100 percent right the first time. That's a dicky. I was like, where the hell is the records room? Um, <laughs> yeah. What, what's Rosen, his face? Rosen. Cousin Eddie, uh, another idiot, uh, Randy Quaid. Cousin Eddie's wearing that in um, Poon's Vacation. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Good call. Yeah, Ascot is the one that uh, Fred wears, right, from scooby Yeah, and Mr. Furley from Three's Company. Oh. I, oh. I, always, I liked Furley, but I was always a Ropers kid. I love the Ropers. I just want a T-shirt with Mr. Roper's face when, like, he he's, has that grin on his face. Yeah, I want a giant face. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah. I just want to, whenever J, uh, Jack would make some sort of, like, you know, effeminate joke or whatever, I want that face on, on a T-shirt. I love the Ropers. I didn't. I watched the Ropers show maybe occasionally, but I never really watched it. Just like I never watched uh, Three's a Crowd or the. Wasn't there another one that John Ritter was 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 Three's the Crowd was the spinoff, right? Three's a Crowd was the spinoff, and the Ropers too. 
I, I wonder, man, if we do some digging, I wonder if there's a third spinoff. And if there is, we'll bring it to TV Obscura. We'll just do all of them. Yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, Yumi and Diallo were huge Three's Companies fan growing up. Yeah. Yeah. But the but the style, the, the fashion for Bill uh, Krushank in this is so bad. I'm just like, oh, man, there is one sweater he's wearing, which is kind of dope. But at the same time, too, it looks like he has caution tape on his on his. <laughs> I'm talking about. I'm like that is not the Shokasugi sweater from Return of the Ninja. <laughs> Dude, just Shokasugi, man. He had the best sweater. <laughs> he sure did. So he kind of tries to play it off, uh, you know. So sorry, Karen sorry. asks, you know, what's wrong? Um, because he's sitting on the edge of the bed, smoking a cigarette, staring off into space like a you know a thousand yard stare, like he just came back from Vietnam. Because he know? just found out his hand probably killed people in Vietnam that were not supposed to be killed. There you go, tour of duty. <laughs> right. He tries to play it off, but uh, she knows something's wrong, so she presses the issue. I think there's something the matter with me. It's the arm. I think there's something wrong with it. I found out who it belongs to. And Karen asks who? A vicious killer. Someone who makes Kohlberg look like an altar boy. Karen looks at him and says, Honey, you have the guy's arm. You don't have his personality. She can tell that that didn't really help, so she kind of goes on. You know nothing about this guy, right? Except his rap sheet. You always say when you're confused, get more information. She suggests he finds out who the guy really was and the differences between him and the killer will emerge. She always gives sage advice in this movie. She does. And then she goes into the bathroom and brushes her crotch out with a peroxide and a, <laughs> uh, a metal brush. Oh, yeah, because this is. Yeah, because it hasn't hit her. We don't actually see her having the realization that like, wait a minute. You just finger blasted me last night with that with a killer's <laughs> finger with a fuck. Wait, what now? Rewind. Hold on. <laughs> Cut to Bill talking to Dr. Webb. She said she chose not to tell him about Fletcher because it might impede his recovery. It's your arm now, not Charlie Fletcher's. Dr. Webb, you put a killer's arm onto my body without telling me. I now have a murderer's blood in my blood. It kind of reminds me when Kramer was keeping all of his blood in storage and then Jerry got like nicked by the knife and he had to have some of Kramer's blood in him. He screams. (laughs) (laughs) You got a little bit of Kramer in you, buddy. (laughs) It all comes back to Seinfeld. Webb can't believe a man with his psychiatric background can be saying these things. That arm can't do anything you don't want it to. Bill asks how she knows that. And Dr. Webb's had enough at this point. She says any physical problems he has with the arm, she and her team will be more than happy to help him with. But as for these other matters, she she suggests talking to a psychiatrist. Bill sarcastically tells her, thank you for your time, Doc, then leaves the office. But not the hospital. Bill waits for the doctor... Bill waits for Dr. Webb to leave her office, then follows her to the rehab room. There, he sees Mark Draper, Peter Mernick, trying to walk on his two new legs. He has similar scars going down the length of him, like Bill has on his arms. As Webb and the nurse are watching Draper, Bill looks at Draper's file for the address and also the address of another person that had the same procedure done, a Remo Lacey. 
Not Remo Williams. I was waiting for you to say that. You ask and ye shall receive. (laughs) Cut to Bill parking his car in a seedy part of town. Almost like a warehouse district in L.A., like like sort of like how we covered in Vice Squad and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but since this is Toronto, there's actually snow. Bill knocks on Lacey's door and is greeted by Brad Dorff. Lacey asks what he wants, and Bill says he wants to talk. What about? About your arm. I got the other one. Lacey says, so, like, you want to arm wrestle or what? And starts laughing. Bill says that arm used to belong to a killer. Lacey says, okay, you got my attention, and lets him in. So, Zach, (laughs) is this another uh, one of our favorite movie uh, apartments uh, that we've seen? I mean, up there. I don't know if it's up there with uh, uh, Jack Death's apartment in in, uh, Trancers um, or even, you know, um, Lucinda Dickey's in in, uh, Ninja 3, The Domination, but it's still a pretty cool apartment. It's pretty cool, but it's it's a dirty artist apartment, and uh, you know it's it looks unkept. It's probably dust all over the place. It looks cold. It's you know there's like no yeah. heaters in there. Yeah, and I and I have friends that have lived in lofts like that, and artist friends. And yeah, just, me too. I'm just like, you go over there and you're like, it's kind of cool to hang out, you know, and the music's playing, whatever, and there's like a party, but then when it's all said and done, all you got at the end of the night is dirt and dust and cold. Yeah, when I lived in uh, downtown L.A., I, uh, I went to a few parties like that at places like that. And, yeah, very cool and everything, but I was like, I don't know if I'd actually personally want to live here. Yeah. We still got to get to my favorite, which is um, Wanted Dead or Alive, the Rucker Hauer movie. He's got that, – that's one of my favorite lofty that, – That's not the one where he's blind, right? No, that's Blind Fury. Blind Fury, yeah. No, Wanted Dead or Alive is the one that I always would consider – what if Rucker Hauer played Frank Castle, the Punisher? Oh, I think I, I think you've mentioned that to me before. And every time you say that, it always like it piques my interest. Can you imagine if he played the Punisher would have been bad ass, dude. I mean, I, I love me some Rucker Hauer, dude. Rucker Hauer as the Punisher. Mel Gibson should have played Wolverine. Should have yes. played Wolverine. Yes. Yes. I've always as a kid, me and my friends always fan casted uh, Mel Gibson's Wolverine. And I always wanted uh, Sid Vicious, a.k.a. Psycho Sid, to be Sabretooth. Oh, hands down. No doubt about Triple that. H would have been a good one as well. He would have. But then he was in that he was in that terrible Blade movie with Ryan Reynolds. And uh, and Wait, like, Triple H was in Blade three. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. don't remember that. Holy, I, that movie sucked. So maybe that, you know, that's why I don't remember it. Yeah, he's in that. There's another. I think there's a couple wrestlers in that one. I forget. Okay. Anyways, I just I just remember Ryan Reynolds' insane abs. Yeah. That's why I don't like him. I know. (laughs) Inside the giant converted warehouse, we see that Lacey is an artist. He has a bunch of paintings he's working on around the place. They are beautifully done, but also very dark and morbid. As Bill is looking at the paintings, he's getting flashes of memories from them. Lacey says these paintings are the best work he's ever done. When Bill asks if he's a fan of Dr. Webb, Lacey says she's the most brilliant woman he's ever met. Bill looks around and says, this is Charlie Fletcher. Lacey says, Charlie who? The killer. He killed 20 people with his bare hands, with that hand that you're painting with. Lacey chuckles and says, yeah, well, what do you do with your arm? (laughs) By the way, those paintings look like, uh, uh, Clyde Barker's paintings. 
Dude, I didn't put it in the notes, and I'm so glad you you brought it up because that was the very first fucking thing that I thought of. I go, that kind of looks like Clive Barker style of painting. Yeah, good call. I, I'm honestly, I, I did not expect you to sort of bring it up. I didn't. I know you, you know, you're a Clive Barker fan, but when I was younger, I was actually kind of really into his art and everything. I've never heard you ever talk about it, so I didn't even think you would even put that together. I met him at Dark Delicacies when he did a book signing for his... My brother has his book. My brother came down here. <laughs> this is with funny. The neck, it, with the neck brace, right? With the neck brace on, yeah, like you're we're going to get to in a little while um, because he broke his neck. And we met Clyde Barker, who was signing his books there. I think Eric got a book. I just got a poster signed. And sweet guy, super sweet. Nothing but positive things to say about Clyde Barker, who I think was suffering because didn't he have, didn't he have throat cancer or something, something. like that? Or, yeah, I think yeah. something. Yeah. Something where that, that caused him to have a really like raspy voice or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But no, dude, growing up, man, I, I was a big, Cly- I didn't read a lot of Car- Clive Barker books, but I, I loved Clive Barker movies and I loved his art. So I kind of like was always looking for his art. So the first thing I thought of, I was like, oh, that kind of looks like Clive Barker's style here. Yeah, I, I read his books of blood. Series. I actually, I, I read a lot of his books. The Cabal book is so good, and which is obviously what Nightbreed's based on. And that's the only one I still have. Um, and I I loved it. Um, but it also has the Lord of Illusions uh, short story in it as yeah, well. Right. I mean, his his writing is great. It's, yeah, it's great. It really is. Bill looks around and asks, "Don't you ever wonder where these images come from? If maybe they come from him?" Lacey blows it off and says they just come to him. He snatches them out of the air. Lacey says that he wants to show Bill something and then grabs his old paintings. They are generic trash, and Lacey knows it. I was a hack. I can say that now. Dumb Cape Cod landscapes. Wall fillers for banks, hotels. That was the best I could do. Nobody had two seconds of their precious fucking time for my serious work. I get this arm, and hey... I make $250,000 in the first three weeks. My dealer's phone never stops ringing. The New York fucking Times is talking about my searing original talent. I got no complaints. The world is my fucking oyster. Oh. Bill says these paintings aren't Lacey's pictures. They're Charlie Fletcher's pictures. This is what he saw when he killed people. Bill knows what he's talking about because he's seen these pictures in his mind. Lacey dismisses Bill and tells him that he's too busy for all this. The inspiration is on the flow. The bluebird is on the wing, and he's got to catch it. Lacey walks over to his door and opens it for Bill to leave. Nice talking to you. Dude, Brad Dorf is awesome. He's great. He's only in this for, what, three scenes? And, yeah. But he chews every moment. He's an yeah. Academy Award-nominated actor. Like, Well, not that that actually means anything, but he's, he's an amazing actor. And according to Eric Red, like all he kind of did with with Brad Dorf was like they did the blocking, like you know, meaning where to stand, where the lights are, that kind of stuff. He's like he, everything else was him, and I didn't even want to fucking like you know stop him, like just let him do his thing. Right, right. And that's that right there is a great director. Right. Back in Bill's office, he's writing in his journal. It's childish of me, I know, but I'm somewhat disturbed to learn that I'm not the only beneficiary of Dr. Webb's experiments. I must find out if other experimental subjects are having the same turbulent shifts in mood and activity that I've been experiencing. Does this arm really have a soul of its own? These questions are monstrous and fantastic. But what has happened since the accident? Is it not fantastic? 
As he's writing, Karen walks in to tell him that they're late for a faculty dinner party, but it startles him and he yells at her for it. She tells him to piss off. He yells back at her, asking what she's so angry about. Karen says, Last night you scared the shit out of me about the guy who had your arm. Today you bury yourself in, your, in here with your books. Bill sarcastically and aggressively apologizes and says he talked to Dr. Webb and everything is perfect. Karen asks why he didn't tell her he went to see Dr. Webb, and Bill says, why should I? Everything's great, okay? Everything's perfect. A rift is clearly building between them. And you know what else is disturbing is how much writing he does that probably people don't even do anymore. I know. Keeping a journal like that? Yeah. Like, I know people still do it but like you know it's just not commonplace anymore no no it's it's most assuredly not and this was a scene too where i'm like they're bickering like that back and forth it just it it feels a little lazy because you know if she could answer like what what the hell's wrong with you what's going on this isn't you kind of all she needed to say is this isn't you you know this is the extra like five or six minutes that i would like to add on to the movie and have them have a more realistic discussion versus just her always being annoyed by him. Right. Yeah. I think we're on the same page with, with what we like about this movie and where it might possibly be lacking, but not to the detriment of the whole. No, I mean, that doesn't like make you not like the movie, but it like we do, we call it out. I think it's a, I think that's a really good point of uh, context that just because we're pointing out some of the flaws doesn't take away how much we love it. And I think you can call out flaws on something and still love said thing. Guyver! <laughs> <laughs> like 90s cartoons. There you go. <laughs> well, buddy, you got no flaws. <laughs> Aww. I got one. <laughs> I got my... See, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Just, just leave it, yeah. Cut to Bill talking to Detective Shawchuck about Charlie Fletcher. He took five of my men. Good ones. I took them in. The judge gave him the chair. Then it kind of gets hazy. There's this lady doctor who wants to experiment grafting techniques on convicts. She's up to her neck in politics. Charlie's got no family, no lawyer, no money. He's nobody. She pulls the right strings and cha-cha-cha, you've got his arm. Bill looks down. Shawchuck goes on. I was in the operating room with eight armed officers when they sawed his head off. End of story. This is a moment where I'm like, Shawchuck? They clearly wrote this guy for, they wrote this character for a hardened New York cop. And Zakes doesn't embody South that. South African, yeah. Yeah, he, but what, I mean, I love him anyways. Yeah, I, me too. I think it's actually a perfect example of you can cast somebody not necessarily the type and it working out really well. Right, Ca- casting the right actor for the the role, but not maybe for the name or what you thought in your head. Yeah, and this is also not a time when we were casting people based on like a status quo or, you know, having equal opportunity. And I'm not saying one way or another, what's good or bad. This is, this was the, a time when we didn't do that. So the fact that he's casting Zakes in this role is surprising. I don't think you would typically see an actor like this 
in this role in 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 another genre horror film at this time. No, they they would have made him the the voodoo doctor, you know. Yeah, he would have it would have been more obvious. Like yeah. I haven't seen this since I was working in Haiti or whatever, you know, or something. Yeah. But or they would have had Andy Garcia playing the cop, you know, which is right. fine too. They're both fine, you know, but I think it, I think it's cool what they did. Agreed. But I mean, dude, watching this after like falling in love with dust devil, um, in my adult age and everything and go listen to the, uh, Richard Stanley interview. Yeah. I, I want, I want more Zakes in my life, dude. I, I just, I love him so much. He's fucking amazing. David's listening. David Irons is listening to us right now going, you can have him in your life. <laughs> go and cover Wes Craven for uh, our tour de force. What's wrong with the two of you buggers? <laughs> Bugger. Fucking piss off, mate. Piss off, mate. Come on now. Zach, you're terrible at this accent because you do three different British accents at once. You, I mean, you are pretty bad, but it's just as bad as David doing his American or his 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 what his Italian accent being an American accent. What are you talking about? <laughs> I lo- I love David's American accent. It's great. And David, you love my terrible British accent. <laughs> I, I love your terrible British accent. I know you do. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just want to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion you're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a Surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show. Cut to Bill coming home. As he's calling out for his family, Billy comes running from the kitchen and playfully tackles his dad. They wrestle, but when the boy jumps off the couch and accidentally hurts Bill, the older man hits him in the face in anger. Billy goes running to his mom crying in a, with a bloody lip. Karen runs over to Bill and hits him and tells, tells him to never touch her child again like that. Samantha asks, what's wrong with daddy? Billy looks down at his hand in horror. Dude, when I saw this scene, I was like, ooh, Zach's gonna, this one's gonna hurt Zach, I think. Oh, I mean, it's like he pelts that kid he does and it's all like one take this entire scene's one take so that was like the the actor jeff fahey and the kid they had to like make sure that like he didn't actually fucking hit him but it looks like he fucking hit him you know it does and then the kid's reaction afterwards is kind of like ah, dad you hit me versus like crying like you know my dad just hit me it's more see this is where i go like this is why this kid when he grows older is is not he's he's gonna have so many issues because his dad didn't love him the way he was supposed to 
Remember the believers when the kid goes running into traffic and uh, <laughs> oh god, there's another dad. Yeah, weird da- Cam, hey, Cam. Are you Cam? Cam? Are we on to something, Cam? <laughs> Cam's next pick involves kind of like a father son. Interesting. Sort of, not really, but sort of. I like how podcasting after dark has become a therapy session for people. <laughs> Cam's gonna. We never Cam's planned gonna, that. No, Cam's gonna join us on wrap up, and he's gonna be like, "You hit the nail on the head, guys. The nail on the head." And David's like, "But why haven't you chosen Wes Craven yet? Crikey, crikey, mate!" In David's defense, I've actually never heard him say "crikey" ever. No, because that's Australian. Oh, that's. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. Your accent's a joke. <laughs> it is. Dave's like, throw another shrimp on the Bobby. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Sorry. He pelts his kid, and it's really messed up. <laughs> it's really fucking messed up. I like all. I like the fact that all of our jokes are at the probably the dark, one of the darkest scenes in the movie. That's uh, how we deal with things, guys. Cut right. to Bill watching Mark Draper play basketball at a gym with his friends. You can tell Mark is still a little wobbly on his new legs, but he eventually gets the ball and runs for a slam dunk. I guess uh, Charlie had ups, huh? I mean, Charlie's got everything, apparently. Yeah, superhuman strength, superhuman jumping ability. Yeah, can paint. He can finger bang his wife. <laughs> to cli- finger bang to climax. Oh, God. Oh, he's got moves, oh. baby. Charlie's got moves. Uh, now we cut to Mark driving home in his sweet muscle car while Bill follows behind him. Yeah, this one's like, notice Bill is wearing a seatbelt now. He's learned his lesson. Yep. yep. While they were stopped at a red light, all of a sudden Mark's leg punches the gas and the car goes flying through traffic and down the street. He skids to a stop in front of a parked car. Mark screams, what the fuck? As Bill walks up to his window and asks if he's all right. Mark says he's okay, and Bill asks what happened. Mark says it was his leg, and Bill asks what's wrong with it. Mark says it just kind of stomped on the gas, and he couldn't get it to break. That sounds pretty nuts, huh? Bill says it doesn't sound nuts at all, and he introduces himself. My name is Bill Krushank. I know this sounds weird, but I got my arm from the same place you got your legs. They shake hands, and Bill asks if they can talk. He says he's been having some side effects from the procedure, and he needs to talk to somebody who's been through the same operation. His arm has been doing things on its own. Bill tells Mark he thinks something's wrong. Mark says it's probably just rehabilitation. It takes a while for things to come back. Mark thinks that's just what happened with his legs. He's having trouble with his coordination. Bill says he saw Mark playing basketball earlier. He he looked pretty coordinated then. I like how Mark's like, hey, I can walk. I had an accident three years ago at work. It crushed both my legs. Put me in a fucking wheelchair. Lose your legs sometime, I'm telling you. All your other problems shrink to nothing in comparison. Bill is shocked. He doesn't seem to understand why no one wants to, like, ask questions about the operation. What are you talking about, ask questions? Look, all I want to do is get good with these babies and get on with my life. I suggest you do the same. Bill apologizes and hands Mark his card. Mark says thanks for stopping and rolls up the window. And I love that it's snowing in this scene too. Um, I, lo- I love Mark. I actually 
me personally, uh, Mark's probably my favorite side character in the movie. Um, and I feel like they have kind of a rapport sort of right away. They seem to like sort of like each other. But I've also noticed when I was breaking this movie down, they do a lot of like long takes. Like, you know, there's not a, like a, there's a lot of cutting in the action. But in, like, the dialogue and interactions with people, like, Eric Red kind of just leaves the camera on and just people just sort of talk, you know? Yeah, no, it's it. I totally agree. Um, and I, I like his character, too. It's funny because uh, the whole time this was the moment where I'm like, is he a real basketball player? You know, because he's, <laughs> he's cause interesting he looking, looking, right? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, but it's a I love this scene because it's shocking you know, and then like his legs want to live, live on the edge, basically, you know, would have been really funny if John Wayne Bobbitt at the end of this movie shows up and he's like, hey, guys, you know why I'm here, too? And then they're kind of like, why? And, did you ever watch that porno that he did after he got his, you know, with his dick and everything with his fucking I, Frankenstein cock? I mean, I remember when it was being rented out at Video Man. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, Big Big Wolf too. Yeah, it came out at the same time that Scotty Schwartz did one also, and uh, you know the guy who stick, sticks his tongue yep. on the pole, right? Yep. From Christmas Story. Uh, yeah, that was a weird. T- I'm like, ooh, th- this is ugh. I mean, because all that was post. Wasn't all that post Pam and Pam and Tommy? Like that's no, when it's before. Was it really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it, it's really you guys. No one wants to see that. No. It's gross. No one. No. I remember though the Pam and Tommy one, dude. That was a, such a fucking huge deal. It was, and then then there was the Vince and uh, Janine one. Yeah. Yeah. And then Brett Michaels came out. None of them really fucking hit like the Pam and Tommy Lee one that did. No, no. Like people who don't know people who only know it from the FX TV show that came out. There was it was a cultural phenomenon like that changed Mm -hmm. the game. Like kids, unfortunately, kids who didn't know anything about what porn was knew what it was because these were like, you know, kind of household names from Baywatch and Motley Crue. We don't talk about Motley Crue too much, um, but growing up, I fucking loved them. Me too. Uh, were you were you a big Motley Crue fan? Oh yeah, I love their. I'm, I love more of their early stuff, like Shout of the Devil and Too Fast for Love. Kickstart my of, heart. Uh, that was Theater of Pain, and that I love that album too. Um, and then Doctor Feelgood came out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I love Motley Crue. I used to, yeah, I've I've seen them a couple times, back in 1987. I saw them once in L.A. Um, so I guess it was when I lived out in LA, so it was probably the last, I mean, they were all there, uh, Mick Mars, you know, was there and everything, but I think it was, might've been the last time Mick was with them. Wow. That's yeah. I mean, they're, they're amazing. They're amazing. I, I yeah. Kickstart my heart's too fast for love and so much, so much good stuff. So girls, much. girls, girls is a great album too. And anyways, I, I, they were like sort of my favorite hair metal bands. Like I like songs from other people like Skid Row and I had like, you know, some albums here and there, but Motley Crue was Motley Crue and Def Leppard were probably my two favorite like hair metal bands from the eighties. What about Tesla? Fuck you. <laughs> Love is all around you. I mean, that's a great song. I do like that song. That's a great song, dude. <laughs> Love is knocking. Outside your door. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Sorry, back to legs. <laughs> back to legs, McGee. <laughs> uh, um, so, but really quickly, Bodie, when uh, when he started getting into He Man and all the figures, and we were getting all the um, four horsemen figures, you know, or the mm-hmm. Super Seven, 
no, sorry, Mattel, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and they, I get it. Uh, and Zach's he, having a stroke right now. <laughs> he got these legs uh, from Mermista, and he loved the legs, like because Mermista came with the fishtail, oh, and okay. also came with a set of human legs, so she could walk around. And uh, he, he would just play with the legs all the time. And I'm, and I'm like, who's that character? He goes, Legs. It's Legs. Go, What's and I go, What's up, Legs? What's up, I Legs? Love it. The, the mind of a child is so amazing. What's that so character called? Legs. It's called Legs, legs. Dad. Are you crazy? Doy. Doy. Ah. Oh, Bodie, you're the best. Uh, cut to Bill and Karen in bed, uh, not saying anything to each other. He touches her shoulder, but she moves away from him. Half our audience just went, Been there, done that. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we've all been there, done that. <laughs> At least once in our lives, guys. Uh, yep. Everyone. Uh, fade to them sleeping, and we see Bill is having a nightmare again. He rolls over and puts his Frankenstein arm on Karen, and it slowly <laughs> begins choking her. Yeah, because, you know. To, yeah, because it's alive. She tries to wake him up by, by slapping him, but it doesn't work. She eventually gets off the bed and out of his death grip as Bill slowly wakes up and realizes what happened. She tells him to stay away from her as he looks at her in shock. Now, I got to say, Zach, that's kind of like something that doesn't like this one scene. The arm kind of has a mind of its own. And I, I get it. You could say, OK, it's because Bill was asleep. I kind of wish maybe we'd seen one or two more scenes like this just to kind of because it's kind of like this is the only time where it seems that like the, the the arm has a mind of its own is just in this one scene, sort of. Yeah, I mean, I guess the this the kid slapping scene is one, and okay. and, the, and the and the face cutting. You yeah, know, him because he want slashing. But I get, but it never but, becomes that movie where he's like, ah, you know, holding his arm as it's trying to do something. It never becomes idle hands. It never becomes the hand directed by Oliver Stone with uh, Michael Caine, I believe. Did you ever see that one? No. I have seen Idle Hands, though, and that movie's awesome. Idle Hands is great, but you should see The Hand. It's it's directed by Oliver Stone. I think it's his first movie I, he I've ever I've seen did. The Band of the Hand. Yeah, that's a great one, too, if we cover Michael Mann uh, for Autour de Force down the road. Okay, um, so so The Hand, though, is good? It was, is it about somebody who like loses control of their hand? Yeah, I think it's like a... Yeah, the hand. Yeah, there's a scene where it like gets chopped off, and yeah, anyways. So like Evil Dead, basically. Yeah, okay. I think so. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn, Le- it. <laughs> damn it, Lee Germany. Damn it, Lee. <laughs> we, are, we are shouting out so many people in this episode. That's good. That's good. We love our fans and our friends and our yes. friend fans. Ah, they're all the same, guys. They're all the same. It's all the same. Yeah. Only the names have changed. Sorry. <laughs> it's it's karaoke song. here at Podcasting After Dark. It always is. I, I think about a good, what, a third of our episodes are very sing-songy. <laughs> yep. And Cam, Cam's like, God, I thought you guys got that over with with Believer. <laughs> Believer. <laughs> Who's okay. that? Imagine Dragons? They suck. I, I, no, I, they don't suck. I just don't like them. I. Okay. Good. That's a good call. You're right. They don't suck. But I don't like them. I think that's what everyone should do moving forward. If you don't like something, you say, I'm not a fan. Yeah. And leave it at that. You know what? As Bodhi would say, they're fine. <laughs> it's it's fine. It's <laughs> they're fine. fine. <laughs> so we see Bill now fully dressed. He takes his daughter, Samantha, out of her bed and carries her into her brother's room. Once there, he wakes up Billy 
and tells and tells them both that he's going away for a little while and that he loves them. After that, Bill walks. To, first off, I, I'm surprised that Karen wouldn't be watching her, him watch, talk to the kids. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no way. No, yeah. she would have. There's no way after doing that. And this entire movie, the most unbelievable part of this entire movie is that Karen wasn't standing over him as he was talking. Like the fact that she let him talk to the kids alone is the most unbelievable part of the movie. Right, right. I agree. After that, Bill walks to his car in silence while Karen and the kids watch. And this is like, so you know how everything has to be done in threes, you know, so you get two of these exiting the house things. Both of them are positive. Now, this is the one that's like negative. But it's nice that we have those other positives because then it gives us a, a, a juxtaposition to see how bad this is and how he looks back. And, you know, Jeff Fahey does great, like almost crying eyes and all that kind of stuff, you know. Would have been great if they cued like some saxophone in this moment. <laughs> but I mean, that kind of illustrates like, yeah, that's funny. We, we, we like that. That's a that's a good. But the music in this movie is never like on the nose like that. The music in this movie is outstanding. Yeah. No, the music. The music is great. I'm glad you called out the composer because we kind of glossed over that in the, the opening. Yeah, don't ask me to repeat his name, but... <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Cut to Bill talking to Dr. Webb in, in her office. He says he wants the arm off. She asks if he's insane. Bill says he has serious problems. He hit his kid and tried to strangle his wife. Plus, he has nightmares every night. Bill tries pleading <laughs> with the doctor. Look, the arm's fine, all right? I just don't want it. Give me a hook or something. <laughs> Give me Webb. a hook or something. It's so funny. It's it would so be like funny. right here. The hook would yeah. be like right there. Yeah, yeah it would be like a, the G.I. Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Dr. Webb looks at him in the eyes and says, do you realize what, what I and my team have accomplished with that arm of yours? Don't you realize that if a gun were put to my head, I wouldn't jeopardize the accomplishments that your surgery represents? Can't you see this arm is killing me? <laughs> Dr. Dr. Webb, unfazed, she says, I'm sorry to put this so bluntly, Bill, but the pain you're in just isn't that important when I balance it against the significance of the experiment. I'll see you put in a mental institution before I let you undo what I've done. Bill leans in close and says, let me be blunt, doctor. Why don't you go fuck yourself? <laughs> I love it when you tell someone to their face to go fuck themselves. It's so this scene is so great. It is. It's one of the best scenes of the movie because he just is unhinged at this point. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and, and unhinged Jeff A is awesome. Yeah. Triggered. She tells Bill to get out of her office and he screams that he wants his arm off. I want his arm off. Cut to Bill by himself in a lonely motel room. We hear a voiceover from his wife, Karen, talking about how she wishes she never signed the release form. This is kind of, that's kind of weird because, like, where did that voiceover come from? and Why was it inserted right here? Yeah, I had to rewind this scene a couple times because I'm like, where is this coming from? He, this is not a day and age of a speakerphone kind of thing. I thought it was on maybe the vo the voice machine, the like the answer machine or something, but it's not. It's just maybe it's in his head. But in his, it's supposed to be in his head probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think you're right. Bill sits at a desk in the room and writes in the journal that he's been keeping. The corollary of violence is loneliness. 
Humanity shrinks from the violent man as if he were a carrier of disease. Cut off from my family, I'm terrified of what I'm becoming. I need someone to share my sense of isolation with. And yes, a growing sense of horror. I am alone and afraid. Cut to a bar and Bill is drinking with Lacey and Draper, his new super friends. I love that they become friends. And if another thing that I wouldn't mind tacking more time onto is seeing their friendship. Yeah, I, I love it. It reminded me of an uh, Adventure Time when Magic Man takes all these creature, uh, different aliens or people or whatever and turns them into body parts. <laughs> and they all kind of band together to create one kind of person out of their parts. That's awesome. Like he turns one guy into a foot, you know, he turns another guy into a eyeball or something like that. Anyways, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, they're oh, they're all homies now. They're all weird, weird friends in some way. And I, I'll get to it, but I like how they kind of cheers to, you know, Charlie Fletcher for for the, their benefactor. I want to talk about that too. Okay. So yeah, we'll get there. Bill thanks them for showing up and tells them every time he looks at his hand, he keeps thinking about how many people it killed. Mark says he's he's had problems with his legs, too, but he'd rather keep them. It's just pieces of, of the guy we got, not him. Bill isn't so sure. He isn't sure where evil lives, the soul, the mind, or the flesh. Lacey seems amused by all this and tells Bill to lay off the metaphysical speculation. Bill asks them why, he, why he's having these problems and not them. Why wasn't his transplant a success like theirs was? Lacey tells him to stop fighting it. Go with the flow. Listen to what your arm is saying to you. And I like how uh, uh, maybe that's why they're not having nightmares because they've accepted it. They, they've accepted their body parts. Okay, yeah, I can buy that. Bill asks, what is his arm saying? Lacey says, right now it's saying, have another drink, old buddy. Mark says, that's just what his legs are saying too. Lacey says he'd like to propose a toast to their benefactor, Charlie. And they all take a shot. Yeah, you're cheersing a guy who's killed 20 people. But they now can walk and, you know, I, I like, I, it's, it's kind of like gallows humor and I enjoy that. <laughs> I know, I get it, I get it, but I'm like, you're cheersing the guy that just dissolved your family, bruh? Yeah, I know, I know. It's, I mean, it, I, 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 get I get it, Lacey, but... I get Lacey saying that, but I don't get uh, um, Bill cheersing as well do you know what i mean i would have liked to have yeah because bill's bill's response should have been uh like cheers you charlie okay fuck you charlie yeah you know and then just done that yeah and then they all go fuck you charlie yeah yeah no you're right and then a guy goes you talking to me no (laughs) he's he's like wearing a shirt that says i'm charlie Uh, (laughs) oh but this is interesting i didn't notice this until zach pointed it out to me uh, uh a couple days ago just then, a drunk Major Matthew Hawk Masterson from Captain Power and a Baltimore Orioles cap, by the way, at the end of the bar says, Hey, asshole, I know you. I've seen you on the TV. Hawk says that he wants to see the hand. I'm just going to call him Hawk, by the way. And yeah, guys and gals, Hawk. go listen to our Captain Power TV Obscure episode. Oh, we love us some Captain Power. We really do. Bill says it's, it's just a hand. Lacey laughs and asks if Hawk wants to see his too. They're a matching pair. Hawk gets drunkenly frustrated and says he wants to see the one from the TV. But Bill says he isn't a circus attraction. 
Hawk says, you're some kind of fucking freak. Then he grabs his wrist. Bill wrenches his wrist free, and in one motion, he grabs the beer bottle and smashes it over Hawk's head. This starts a bar fight, and the bartender calls the police. Probably my other problem I have with this movie. <laughs> I'll tell you in a second. Bill single-handedly beats down a gang of bikers one by one as Lacey and Mark watch in astonishment. Just then, Detective Sawchuck saw and six officers rush in. They get there in 30 seconds. And why is a detective there? And why is a detective there with six cops? They just would have rolled up with like two or three. Yeah. Yeah. But as they're there, Mark tries to stop Bill. But Crushank hits him in the face like he did with his son. But then Mark uses his leg to karate kick Bill into Shawchuck's arms. It's a good the, kick, too. It was a great kick. The detective subdues Bill. Eh, and that's how it sort of ends. Yeah, there's no real follow-up to this moment. It's just like they just all let him go, I suppose, because well, they're white. And uh... well, and here's the thing, because the next scene um, is going to be like we're going to be following Mark. And it's clearly not like later that night. So there's clearly some kind of time jump. You know what I mean? Cause like then the next scene, Mark is wearing like sweatpants. So I, I, I think it's at least the next day, but you know, it yeah. goes, it goes from yeah. being nighttime. Then the time jump is to another nighttime. So when I first watched it, I was like, Oh, is, is that just later? Is this when Mark is leaving the bar? And I was like, I don't think so. I think this is when Mark, I think there's like a day or two has passed. Yeah. It feels like it. So Mark is walking to his apartment complex carrying a bag of groceries. He hears a sound and looks back but sees nothing. As he's walking up the stairs, his legs start acting funny. Mark falls, but he eventually makes it to his apartment clearly in pain. Once inside, he sits down and tries to call Bill, but gets his answer machine. I love this. This is Bill Krushank in exile. Current location, the Hillcrest Hotel. Well, enough about me. How are you doing? Leave a message at the beep and tell me all about it. I like how he calls himself in exile. It's hilarious. I love it. It's a little nod at humor. And and also, is this the moment when we see the inside of Mark's apartment? Or is this coming up? I think it's when Bill goes to his apartment and sees that Fresh Force poster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so bring that up in, in a second. Well, we okay. bring it up now because, I mean, we'll, we'll be here in a second. So yeah, <laughs> what did you see in there? Well, no. So, you know, in just a moment, Bill will be going to Mark's apartment um, and he walks into the apartment and, he, and there's a poster on the wall. It says like fresh force. And it, it looks like a like an airborne type poster. You know, it's kind of mm -hmm. cool looking. And I'm like, I bet you fresh force is something. It's not just some generic thing they made up for this movie. It's like a hip hop group from the late 80s early 90s like a dj hip-hop kind of cnc music factory type thing if you go if you type in fresh force the fresh force fresh dash force.net is the only place where you can hear this music it's totally late 80s early 90s you know hip-hop uh club music but it's kind of interesting i'm like oh someone was a fresh force fan <laughs> Because they put that on there. So, yeah, someone in the art department or, or set design or something. That's awesome, Eric, dude. Eric Red's grooving to, you know. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you ha I know. Do, 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 I mean, do, do. I know you're not an authority on them, but do you know if maybe they're from Toronto? No, uh, I don't think they are, but I will tell you really quick. Uh, Fresh for th th This was what stood out to me when I went on their website because it says uh, 
1991 or sorry 1990 they're from chicago okay sorry they 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 signed a independent they're signed to an independent label in chicago in 1990 one of their songs uh was called body house body house interesting Maybe. After a 30-year th- hiatus, Madison hip-hop legends Fresh Force set to headline Mad Lit. I don't know, Madison. Oh, Madison, Wisconsin. The group formed in 1984 in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, was a, it was a rap group. Wow. And you know what's funny? When you sent me all that and everything, and the, then when I broke it down this time and I was watching it, I, I didn't even see that poster again. Like I didn't see it the second time. So I'm glad you. I'm glad you're calling it out. I'm sure Cam probably noticed it, but that's uh that's some that's some weird wild stuff you got going on, buddy. Yeah, apparently they played with uh, su- artists such as uh, Speech from Arrested Development, Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam, oh, uh, Glenn Medeiros, who Glenn Medeiros had a great song in. Uh, uh, High Wire in the Karate Kid Three. Okay. Uh, e- EPMD. Um, anyways, yeah. Who okay. runs this mother was the name of, uh, another song. They, who runs this mother and Jack master six. Oh, wait, no, sorry. <laughs> Jack master six. That reminds me of something that reminds me of, of what that's a compilation album there. Uh, I know, but Jack, it's, it sound that reminds me of something that Bud Bundy would have like referred to himself <laughs> as you remember, right? Yeah. yeah, remember because he was all, and she would always like <laughs> say like Gas Passer B or something. Jack like Master is an amazing <laughs> name. Uh, Leisure Suit Larry comes to mind for some reason too. Yeah, I don't know that why. too, that too. Jack Master. Uh, well, Mark leaves. Uh, thank you for all that, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Mark leaves a message saying he's calling to see what's going on with him. That's why, like, his message is kind of like if they just had a bar fight, it would. That this is what kind of t- tells me that it was probably a few days later. So he's leaving a message. He's like, "What? What's yeah. going on with you?" You know, he's like, and you can tell he's in distress. Uh, he says he's at home, but he's cut off by the door being kicked in. Bill picks up the phone and hears Mark being attacked. Bill runs out to his car and drives to Mark's place. Well, I want to I want to pause you really quick. Yeah. Sorry. So uh, I want to roll it back a little bit because when Mark goes to his apartment, he's in agonizing pain going up the stairs like he's got to take a massive shit like he's got diarrhea. Uh, we've all been there. Yes. And, yes, we have. Yes, we have. And uh, where you're like, oh, God, I'm almost there. <laughs> Am I going to make it? <laughs> why does, but I, why does your body know that you're almost there? It's like, why can't you just wait a few more seconds? You know, why is that? And then you just explode in the toilet. But <laughs> yeah. anyways, um, <laughs> Anyways, when you know it, it's a, it's kind of like it's his. The legs are like s- sensing their their. Um, well, they're gonna they're sensing the impending doom. I I took the same I took it as the same thing. Like the legs knew that Charlie was close by. But uh, spoiler, I didn't see the whole Charlie thing coming. We'll we'll, we'll get there yeah. when it, we we get there. Sup, I, legs. <laughs> Uh, so Bill runs to his car and drives to Mark's place. Once he gets there, he sees the doors broken down. The apartment is messed up, and then Mark's dead. And then he finds Mark's dead body lying on his bed, Oof. sans his two legs. They've been Oof. ripped off. Oof! It's gross because you can see in those stumps too. Oof! 
big Oof. old holes in there. Oh God! Oh God! By the way, remember that uh, that album? Uh, what was it? Twisted Sister, where D. Snyder's holding like the the giant milk bone. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I was just thinking like that big nub. You said hole and then holes, and then you went to remember the album, and I thought you were going to be like remember that album by Hole. Oh yeah, that one too. Hmm. Well, remember, so that was Courtney Love's uh, band, right? Hole. It was. Yeah. Jackmaster Six. <laughs> Gas Passer <laughs> B. That was always my favorite when Kelly was would always because you'd always spin it, you know. Because I think actually I don't remember what Bud's actual rap name was. I just remember all of Kelly's. Like, you know, spin on it, like Gas Passer B and shit like that. Because he did. He had a rap album that came out. I know. I know. God, all these guys, like Joey Lawrence and uh, um, yeah, Brian Austin Green. Yeah. Oh, my God. And and what, uh, uh, Jason Forentino? Was it Jason? I feel like that's not right. Uh, Bud Bundy's name. David David Faustino. David Faustino. There it is. There it is. <laughs> You're like James Fiar James Fiar and Steve. What is this? Doctor Brule? <laughs> Chip Beef? <laughs> I did. I brewed that. I brewed that hard. <laughs> James Fiastino. <laughs> oh God. Fiorentino. To- James Fiorentino. Cut to Karen being woken up in bed by a phone call from Bill. He frantically tells her to take the kids and go to her mother's house right now. Don't pack. Just go. We see Karen get out of bed and go to her kids, presumably to do what Bill asked. I appreciate this scene because it just it just ends. You don't have this whole thing where I'm showing up in the house. And and I like that they actually did it because otherwise I would have been like, we all would have been like, well, if he has the address to Mark, then he probably has the address to Bill. And I like that the movie thinks of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. But he didn't go there because he doesn't because he's got the spidey sense on his legs, right? And the body he's, parts. He's following the, the 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 appendages, right? A short time jump, and the cops in the corner are at Mark's place, putting his body in an ambulance. Detective Saw Chuck is questioning Bill about the fight at the bar. He thinks Bill and Mark were fighting, but Bill says they weren't. Mark was trying to stop him. Bill says he's tired and asks if Saw Chuck has any more questions. The detective says he does. But unfortunately, he'll need to start asking them downtown. I was like, why is Sawchuck bugging me? What is that name? Why is that name bugging me? Because Sweet Chuck is in Police Academy. <laughs> the name it's Zed's yeah. partner. Yes, that would have yeah. been hilarious. Why, where, why, where were you earlier this evening? Yeah, it was Sweet, Sweet Chuck was Chuck. the one that talked all like low, right? And then all of a sudden, yeah. if she had to, ah, and she could no, like raise and, her voice up, right? No, that's that's hooks or uh, oh, that's, right, right. But right. Uh, Sweet Chuck is the like the little guy who he worked at the light store in Police Academy Two, I think it was when Zed and his team. You know, Zed was originally like a bad guy, yeah, and, and he it, it, like everything shatters in the chandelier store or whatever. It's, I I loved I Police love Academy those. as a kid, but I haven't seen those movies in forever. Kind of like uh, 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 Space Camp and Moving Violations. These were all like movies that I watched so much as kid, like as a kid, yeah. I mean, constantly. But then I haven't seen them in like thirty five years. You should watch Police Academy four again. It's it's hilarious. Is that the one where they're at the beach and he writes like Dick on his chest and no. And- that's part five, Mission, the Miami one, I uh, think. I think I saw that but in the four, theater as a four kid. Four is the one with David Spade where they're skateboarders. Okay, okay. And uh, it's it's just so funny, man. It's like, it's so stupid. 
I think you'll laugh more now because you've had you've been away from it for so yeah, long. Yeah. Because Zed got so stupid after did, a while and cliche. Did Shout Factory like? Did, did anyone ever put out like a whole complete Shout Factory like, series? just did? Yeah, did, Shout Factory just did, and I just got it. The the whole like I, the whole movie series. Yeah, the whole movie series. Okay. All right. Shit. I gotta. Oh, spending way too much money on movies, guys. I know. Oh, I know. Sorry. <laughs> I just, and by the way, Zach and I both just uh, pre-ordered um, uh, Extreme Ghostbusters that they just announced um, was, is coming out on DVD. It's only 20 bucks. I know. I know, dude. I know. And I had like a $15 credit for something, so I was like, it was $5 for me. It's coming out in March. I can't fucking wait. <laughs> I can't wait either. Uh, I can't wait to see my uh, bill. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cut to Lacey working on a new painting in his apartment when he hears a noise and goes to investigate. He finds the fire escape door open and closes it. The fire escape door in his apartment. Back at the Draper crime scene, Bill says to Sawchuck that he better check on Lacey as they both get in the detective's car. Back in Lacey's apartment, he's about to get back to work on the painting when he when a person grabs him from behind. Just then, we see a great shot looking down at a stuntman dressed as laughing. Obviously a stuntman, but it's still an amazing like sort of stunt. Yeah. He's getting thrown out a third-story window, but he grabs onto the ledge as he's about to fall. As Lacey is hanging there, the unknown assailant grabs him by the Frankenstein arm and says, Give it back! Then he proceeds to rip Lacey's arm off at the socket, sending the artist falling to the ground. Of course, this is the exact same time Sawchuck and Crewshanks are pulling up and Lacey's body falls through the detective's front windshield. At least this exonerates Bill. Yeah, it would have been funny if Bill's like, you see, it wasn't me. A slight time jump and now Lacey's apartment is a crime scene. Detective Sawchuck and Bill are sitting in a police cruiser now. The officer tells the professor that he'll be safe. From now on, you'll be with me. Bill says, I'm not safe. I'm next. As they drive away, we see Dr. Webb and one of her assailants sitting in a car watching them leave. Now, I got to say, um, the first time I watched this, I didn't have subtitles on, so I didn't hear uh, uh, Charlie say, give it back when he rips, uh, you know, Lacey's arm out. Yeah. So cut to Sawchuck and Bill stopped at a red light. We see a car drive up next to the passenger side where Bill has his right arm out the window because he's smoking. The driver of the other car is bald and has a neck brace on and has a human arm sitting on the dashboard. It's Charlie Fletcher. I didn't see this. <laughs> You'll never see Charlie Fletcher coming. <laughs> I had I no part of my brain thought that the head was going to be attached onto a new body and that the killer was fucking Charlie Fletcher. I was telling Myra, I was like, is this a recipient of like maybe his heart from the torso or something? But no, guys, this is the head of Charlie Fletcher. Mind blown. Yes. I know you've seen this movie more than me, but I mean, when you, do you remember when you first saw it? Did you expect this at all? I think when I first saw it, I was like, oh, really? Like, I didn't kind of expect it to be the guy from beginning. Because he's not, 
he's not like a, a huge part to the movie. He's just the body. The body, yeah. He's yeah. like Mr. Body and Clue. Right, right. Like, he doesn't matter as much as the evil doctor does right. at this point. Right, but then it. Be, but the movie, by the way, we only have like, like 12 minutes left in the movie, but it becomes now what was originally like sort of a thriller becomes this gory sla- sort of slasher movie. But Sort of I, slasher. I like that it has a premise. Like, I like that there's a meaning behind all of the kills and what he... And it's a very direct line of what he's trying to do, you know? Right. It's different. It's very... It's, it's, it's very different than what you're used to seeing in a horror film. I like that. You called it early at the beginning of this episode. You said this is a very singular movie there's not a lot of other movies i mean other movies have done it we talk about idle hands and stuff but this seems so very different than that yeah yeah it's its own it's its own kind of thing yeah and this does not need to be remade i think this holds up very well in 2023 yeah don't remake this please please no more remakes no more re- revisions. You know, they're make they're revisioning Roadhouse, which is getting trashed, by the way. Like people are saying it's garbage and, and like are you surprised? Are you surprised? No. It, not at all. Nope. But more I'm I'm more excited about the Jeff Healy uh documentary than I am about uh the the Roadhouse remake. That I would I'll I'll Watch that the day it comes out. Me too, buddy. We may, uh, we both have our, our movies lined up for our documentaries in 2024, but I don't know, man. We we may have to make a special like occasion to, to cover that one if it's good, but I, I plan on buying that the moment it fucking comes out. Pivot! 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 <laughs> I, you know me, man. I love Seinfeld, but that is one of the best friends fucking scenes That's ever. funny. <laughs> So this this is awesome, dude. And by the way, this chase scene that we're gonna lead into, this is the this is what sold the, the Eric Red script to or the the pitch. This is what sold it when he basically pitched this chase. Um, this is what sold it to the studio. So Charlie handcuffs his left hand to Bill's right hand and speeds off. Thankfully, Detective Sawchuck does as well. Otherwise, Bill's arm would have been ripped out of the socket, which is clearly what Charlie's plan was. The two cars speed through oncoming traffic side by side as the two men are attached at the wrist. It's a fantastic spin on the typical chasing trope. Yeah. Bill punches Charlie in the face as the killer tries to control his car. He, Charlie, he looks just as terrified as Sawchuck. Obviously, Charlie's plan went horribly wrong. But I do love how Charlie is, like, just as scared as everyone else is. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's so funny. Eventually, Bill gets Sawchuck's gun and shoots the handcuffs right at the moment before they come to, like, a bridge pillar that divides the lanes. I, I'm Guys, I, I, I kind of I shortened this chase. It's spectacular. Just yeah. Just go watch the movie. I, it I don't goes on for five it. minutes. Yeah. No. It, it's awesome. And the stunts are great. And, and I, you can't tell. Like, a couple times you can see that they're sort of holding hands versus... And, and we all know, like, it's two stunt guys. Um, the cars are, like, attached underneath. They can kind of move, but they can't break away. But also, just in case, the, the handcuffs were fake so they could break if needed to, you know? Yeah, and I'm a fan of underrated 
car chase scenes. Like I know we talked about that with uh, Vigilante with Bill Lustig's Vigilante, you know, and 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 these car chase scenes. There's a lot of great car chase scenes in movies that don't get a lot of love, and I think this is one of them. Yeah, and this is one that you you don't see something like this where they're attached at the the hands, you know. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, eventually Bill gets Sawchuck's gun. Yeah, he he he, just, you know, shoots the the handcuffs. The detective slams on the brakes and gets out of the car and shoots at Charlie as he speeds away. Bill jumps into the driver's seat of the cop car and chases after Charlie alone. We follow Charlie as he speeds down the road, but his tire blows out and he spins into a parked car. His car explodes, as cars are wont to do in movies. <laughs> Charlie gathers up all the limbs, you know, Mark's legs and Lacey's arms, and escapes the burning wreckage. As he's walking away, the car explodes, sending the killer and his own limbs to the ground. And I can always tell when an actor has to fall. Like I always look at their knees. You can tell he's wearing knee pads under his, like, you know, uh, scrubs or whatever he's wearing, you know. But it's funny because he's got the limbs and the entrails are hanging off it. And it's just all floppy. (laughs) It's such a gory mess. (laughs) It's a mess. But that's what makes it so funny. Yep. That's what makes it awesome. Just then, Dr. Webb and her, like, sort of nameless assistant pull up in their car. Webb gets out and walks over to Charlie, who's on his knees holding the limbs in his arms. She kind of kneels down in front of him and puts her coat over him. I wish we got, so we're not going to get any kind of what their connection is. I kind of wish I knew. Yeah, me too. I mean. Like maybe she wrote to him in prison or something and they they developed like something. I I like that idea that she's kind of infatuated with him. Yeah, the bad boy. Right. Like really bad boy. You know, unlike George Costanza when he was a bad boy when he just had his dad's car. Yes, pretty much. (laughs) Cut to Bill writing one last entry in his journal. Dearest Karen, this may be my final journal entry. Having read this, you know the truth. I hope you understand why I have to do what I'm about to do. I love you, Karen. You and the kids are the best thing I've ever known. Bill. He kind of licks the envelope, but it doesn't seal. Like <laughs> It doesn't like close. No, it doesn't close. <laughs> and then he got poisoned from licking the envelope. There's your other Seinfeld reference. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> always, always. <laughs> he puts the the journal in an envelope and gets gets out of the police car and drops it in a mailbox. He then takes Sawchuck's revolver and walks across the street to the hospital where Webb works. Bill makes his way to the operating room where his surgery first took place, and there he finds Charlie's Fletcher's torso, legs, and one arm hanging and kept alive in a glass cabinet sort of contraption. The torso is moving on its own. Charlie's head isn't there. This was fucking gross, and this grossed Myra out very much. Like with the pee bag and everything? It's just, oh, it's so gross. I mean, I love that attention to detail with the pee bag, but it's fucking disgusting. Yeah, it is. There's There's a movie called Tattoo that came out, in the early 2000s it's like seven where this woman goes she's like a she hunts down for these elusive back tattoos and she cuts the entire person's skin off and like hangs them in her gallery i think it's like that it's been a while i only saw it once but it's you know it's grotesque like that this is this borders on that where you're just like oh this is really gross but you know still want to touch it (laughs) 
<laughs> it's all good. With my, it's with my tongue. <laughs> Ew, gross. gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dr. Webb says, welcome, Bill. He looks, and she and her assistant are wearing Welcome sh- to Fetish Island. <laughs> so they're they're uh they're wearing their scrubs ready for an operation this is when i was like i'm not sure why the assistant who was not in a car accident has like a, a kind of a, a sort of black eye and kind of a bandage over his eyebrow and i was like is there a scene missing but there isn't because like it's kind of the only scenes that were cut are the ones that we sort of know about so i'm just like why is he now like bandaged like what happened to him i feel like i feel like it it was a scene that was cut, but maybe they just didn't have the footage. Yeah. Okay. Or they would never filmed it, although they knew what it was going to be. And then they kind of never really filmed it. And they're like, well, this guy doesn't really matter. No one's going to pay attention to the bandage on his forehead. True. Yeah. Webb continues. You wanted to give back Charlie's arm. We're ready to take it. Bill laughs and says, you're completely out of your fucking mind. <laughs> and you're a threat to every living thing you touch. He pulls out his gun. Dr. Webb says, The grafting on of limbs was only the beginning. As she walks towards Bill, he aims the gun at her. She stops. Beginning? Saving Charlie Fletcher's head so he could run around and kill people? That's quite an achievement, Doc. She says that science, like nature, destroys to build. I'm part of the process that's bigger than all of us. Now we transplant... Now we transplant heads with full brain chemistry and functions intact. Don't you see where this can lead? Bill laughs and says, yeah, straight to hell. Then he then says, fuck you, and aims his gun at Dr. Webb's face. I think he's going to pull the trigger. I think he's going to fucking blow her brains out right here. Oh, yeah. But as he does, Charlie quickly... But as he does, Charlie quietly walks up behind him with a shotgun and knocks him out with the butt of the gun. Bill wakes up strapped to the operating table. Charlie's outside the room keeping watch with the shotgun. Once Dr. Webb once Dr. Webb fires up the bone saw, Bill screams no and breaks free of his restraints. He cold cocks Dr. Webb, knocking her out, then wrestles with the assistant while Charlie aims his shotgun at them. Bill breaks free from the hold the assistant has on him just as Charlie fires the gun, blowing the assistant's head off. Bill now fights with Charlie over control of the shotgun. As they do so, Bill rips Charlie's neck brace off, revealing his scars. Just as the killer is about to shoot the gun at Bill's neck, Bill breaks Charlie's neck with the Frankenstein arm like in the visions he had. Like when the I love that connection that he does what he what he sees Charlie had done to that girl when he breaks her neck. He does that. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's great Great brain shot, great neck snap. And it's almost like muscle memory, right? He just yeah. does it out of muscle memory. Right. Charlie falls to the ground, leaving Bill holding the shotgun. Charlie watches in horror as Bill uses the gun to shoot all of the body parts hanging in the glass case. We think Charlie Fletcher is dead. He's not. The scene fades out and fades in on Charlie sitting in a room in a, in a wheelchair, staring at the wall, paralyzed from the neck down, living forever in a hell 
of his own head sort of created. That was the original ending. Everything after that, everything after this right now, is all reshoot. Oh, interesting. That ending didn't play for the audience. And it makes sense because, like, when he breaks his neck, he seems like he's down and out. Like, it's over, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm okay with that, but I can see why mainstream audiences wouldn't be. Like I said, that was the original ending that was shot, but it didn't play. Now back to the movie. Bill walks, this is, now this is all reshoots. Bill walks over to a phone and calls the police station to talk to Detective Sawchuck. He slumps down on the ground with his back against the wall. When Sawchuck picks up, he tells him he's at the hospital. Charlie Fletcher is dead and Dr. Webb is involved. Just then, Bill sees Charlie grab the gun while still laying on the ground and ducks as he pulls the trigger. The bullet hits right where Bill's head was. Charlie shoots again, this time hitting Dr. Webb, killing her. Charlie keeps shooting, but Bill dives for the shotgun and explodes Charlie's head. I like this ending much better. I do too, because you want to see the good guy get his full comeuppance. I don't know how Dr. Webb got shot, but I'm okay with it. Me too, yeah. Kind of though, like, the fact that they're killed off so quickly... I'm okay with it, but that's also something you don't often see. It almost reminds me like of a Tarantino movie or something where the the violence comes super fast. And if you blink, you sort of miss it. And then all of a sudden, like one minute, like one second later, five people are dead. And you're like, how the fuck did this just happen? Right. But I almost kind of feel like that's sort of realistic. I feel like, I mean, I've never been in a situation like this, but I imagine shit would happen sort of fast. And then all of a sudden you're like, I survived. Yeah, there's no like cliche, you know. It's my arm now, or I don't know. Well, but the funny thing is, we get a we get a fun little thing now in the denouement that's like that. Yeah, and I love it. Me too. Fade to Bill and Karen sitting in a park watching Samantha and Billy play. Bill writes in his journal, "As I sit here today, the only survivor of Doctor Webb's experiments, I feel somewhat resigned. The questions I've been asking are quite simply beyond my reach. Where does evil live?" Is evil in the flesh? If a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Inquiring minds want to know. That was, that's such a of of the time phrase. Because National Enquirer is always been a joke, but at one point they had quite the pull, surprisingly. Yeah, well, because that was probably your only source of like conspiracy shit and everything. Right, know? Now, right. Now it's, you know, 80% of the internet. Or 100% of Fox News. Or 50% of this country. There you go. Let's not give them that much. They're only about 30%. Okay, fine. Yeah. I hope so. (laughs) And life goes on. I do know that evil does not live in my arm, because since Charlie died, I've experienced none of the violent tendencies the arm initially manifested. I've adjusted and accepted the fact that I'm the recipient of of a miraculous new surgical technique. And to that end, I owe Dr. Webb and Charlie. The arm's mine now, Chuck. I want it fair and square. I I think that's awesome. I like that too. I like that too. And I like with the follow-up. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Yeah, Karen asks if he's leaving that last line in. Bill says, sure. But Karen asks, isn't it going to be published in the Journal of Medicine? 
Bill says he thought he'd inject a little humor. Karen tells him it's brilliant, and they hold hands as the camera pans away and the credits roll as the aspect ratio changes. It's Aww. the same as before. So by that, I mean, um, it, it's it, the, there's for some reason, it's the, the two credit sequences are different where there's a black bar on the left and the right of the of the TV screen as opposed to yeah. the top and the bottom. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know why. But I don't know why either, but I don't mind it. It's kind of cool. No. Yeah, it's it's it, it's no, it's neither here nor there. But Zach, that is body bags, a.k.a. body parts, <laughs> a.k.a. pad parts, a.k.a. Thank you, Cam, for such a great pick uh, of a movie to break down. And of course, Corey did the breaking down. I just get to wax silly the whole entire time that he's talking and uh but man it, it it still holds up to this day it's it's a wacky obscure horror film it it's a cult movie to the highest degree and i loved it still love it and go out and watch it it's fun i forgot if you'd mentioned how much time had passed in between like when you last watched it back in the like is this something you watched fairly regularly over time i yeah i i remember owning the vhs copy and watching it semi-regularly you know every six months or so probably like pe- people come over what do you want to watch let's watch something cool let's watch you want to watch something weird let's watch this um and like i said i'm you know huge man crush on jeff Fahey at the time so that that's probably why <laughs> yeah and i mean it's such a unique movie like you said earlier and i you know reiterate everything you said man this is an awesome movie um i had a complete blast with it thank you cam for for bringing this one to the table um also thank you for introducing me to warning sign i know i kind of wanted you to pick warning sign and everything but uh cam was the one that actually told me about warning sign and i picked up the uh, blu-ray love that movie thought that movie was fantastic um yeah this is, I will, this is great and I, I will say too cam probably knows this because i think he listened to the interview we interviewed craig saffin on two dollar late fee uh, Craig Saffin did the score for warning sign yep. and came up with the, there's a, there's a sound in there in the movie that is officially now called the Saffin sound or Safin sound, Craig Safin, Safin, Saffin. Yeah. Anyways, the Saffin sound, um, in warning sign, which yeah. is pretty cool. It's like that. Yeah. No, that's, it's awesome. And, and this movie is awesome too. Guys and gals. If you made it this far and you haven't watched it yet, uh, I I purposely omitted some awesome stuff, uh, meaning like all the dialogue, you know, from from Paul Ben Victor and stuff like that. Like you can watch that movie now. You'll get so much out of it, even knowing that, you know, what's coming and everything. But I'm still blown away. I didn't see the whole Charlie thing coming like it was his head. You know, I was like, I can't be it can't be his fucking head. You know, it would have been even better if it was Charlie Murphy. (laughs) Wrong, wrong. (laughs) oh man this was great we said it before but go check out the jacked up review show podcast that's cam shelley's show um we're gonna do another movie uh, in a couple weeks uh his other picks actually breaking that one down and uh you know uh, you made it this far we'll tell you it's android it's roger corman's android from 1982 i believe and it's very different from body parts the only connection it has is about the same about the same runtime, uh, <laughs> yeah. believe it or not. So yeah. <laughs> uh, runtime for the win, Cam. Thanks again for picking movies that, you know, no offense at all, obviously to anyone, you know, Robert in the past who's 
chosen movies that are really long, well, two well, hours can't, plus. Well, well, The Believers was long as hell. To, to this day, I use The Believers, which is Cam Sully's pick, um, as my barometer of the longest, the most notes I've ever taken. I did the breakdown for it. That was the most pages I've ever had to do. And that was that was Cam Sully's pick. So I think actually Cam Sully at this point has the longest pick and the shortest pick. Yeah, I, I mean, runtime doesn't necessarily constitute a short notes or long notes. It it, it, it doesn't. It depends on what kind of movie it is. But Android is uh, it, it's a it's another great cult classic pick. And if you've never seen Android, it's free on YouTube. Go check it out before we break it down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, if anybody wants, uh, you know, us to break down their movies, then head on over to patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. That's patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. Sign up for our highest tier and we will do all of this for you guys. And, uh, you know, a great place to find everything podcasting after dark is podcasting after dark.com. We have links to our merch store, links to our Patreon page, uh, links to, you know, all the different episodes and everything and, and any other podcatchers and social media, everything you could possibly want is over at podcasting after dark.com. And that's podcasting after dark.com. Now, Zach, we are in mid January. I know that you guys over at $2 lay fee are on a hiatus, but that doesn't mean you're not, you know, producing content. Um, but what is coming? Can you can you tease anything coming in February when you guys come back uh, from your, your your break? Yeah, actually, I can give you a little bit of January stuff, too. Oh, cool. So we it's funny. We're taking a, a break from producing kind of like live content or, or or maybe, you know, current content. But we dropped some Comic-Con content from December. Uh, we have, by the time that this airs, we have something dropping on the $2 feed that will drop also on pad. So stay tuned yep. to both stations. Um, and then in February, and of course we have a brand new territory marks that just came out too. It's a, a tribute to the Von Erics covering two of our favorite Von Eric matches from back in the day. Um, and then in February, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we are going to be covering weird science for our season five premiere weird science and and weird science and suzanne snyder will be our featured guest uh but we're shaking things up a little bit on two dollar late fee and podcasting after dark but you're gonna have to stay tuned to that very soon that's your tease Weird Science, man. I mean, as a kid, I, I very much enjoyed that movie. Actually, uh, I have the Arrow Blu-ray. Um, Same. Meyer and I just uh, rewatched it probably about a year and a half ago. Um, I, I love it. I think it's a great movie. But I've always loved my science project a little bit more as a kid. Uh, although I haven't revisited my science project in a while. Um, maybe one day we'll, we'll talk to Fisher Stevens about it. Yeah, we'll probably bring up my science project on this episode um, for sure. It's it's interesting. The more of the mainstream ones are the ones we get more hits on. So we did we dropped Pretty Woman last year. We're like, no one's going to listen to Pretty Woman. It was our number one rated episode for the for the year, I think. I mean, it's kind of that way with Pad, too. And, and I mean, I joke that you and I are sort of the perfect combination because like I'll bring I'm sort of the mainstream cult guy. And, like, I'll bring the mainstream ones, like, zombie or something. Um, but then, like, I, I swear to God, 
your shit gives us the street cred, man. Like, like with the stuff that you bring to the table that like, I've never heard of. And it's like super obscure. That's what fucking gives us the cred right there. Right. And, and I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll take the street cred any day though. I'm so happy that we have a yin yang balance. I think we do. I think, and you know, you and Dustin do as well. So it's, we do. It's, yeah. it's all great. Yeah. It's all freaking great. And uh, I love $2 lay fee and everything. And yeah, we're going to have something dropping pretty soon and some, some new content uh, concepts coming at you guys as well. So uh, yeah, keep your eyes peels, keep looking to the stars guys and, and keep looking inside those holes, baby. <laughs> I can't follow up with that. So no, you can't. <laughs> and as always, Get this arm off me! Oh, no, sorry. We'll catch you on the dark side. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Hey, everybody. I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found.